Hey guys, Ian here. Now, um, before the show starts, I just want to say, uh, this was a really, really bitty recording this week. We did it in like three or four parts, um, due to, uh, due to more problems on my end than, uh, than Mark's. Um, there were, uh, kind of, um, life getting in the way stuff that, uh, everything's fine, but, uh, life getting in the way stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, apologies for the lateness. Um, you know, I mean, basically this is last week's show this week, but, um, yeah, it does mean when I say there's not going to be a show next week, that's referring to last week, meaning uh, to this week, if that makes any sense. So um, anyway, yeah, the show's quite bitty. We might bring up all that, you know, you'll be able to listen to the rest of it here, but then not. So anyway, here's the show. We'll be back to a regular schedule next week. And uh, here you go. Thanks, guys. Did you know the sun was gonna die? What? I never heard that. Oh, come on. That can't happen. You're the king. Look at me. I'm big. How could guys like us worry about a tiny little thing like the sun? since Sandy Murray actually won Wimbledon, the crazy bastard, and uh, it's really, really hot. So, welcome to probably one of the lowest energy dude in the monkeys ever recorded. Uh, this is episode number 27, and uh, my name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Mark Foster. There we go. And um, we will say, um, first off, uh, did put this out on the Twitter feed, but um, just to say... Uh, we're recording in two parts this week, um, d- down to me, basically. Uh, but um, we're recording in two parts this week. So you're going to get the show in one part, but the the layout's going to be ever so slightly different, not that much different. But um, basically, as we record now today, uh, we're going to talk some trailers. Uh, we're going to review the Magical Heist movie, uh, Now You See Me. And we're going to do some one old, one new. And then in the second half of the show, essentially, uh, we are going to review Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, which uh, I would like to give uh, another go around before discussing. And Mark is yet to see. Um, 
so uh, there's that as well and uh, we'll then uh, get into the next part of our Spike uh, Lee marathon as we take on Jungle Fever which I have watched about the first half hour of so far so I also need to catch up on that bad Ian bad bad Ian but um, I, I don't know I just fucked up my scheduling this week I suppose it, uh, has, it has only been four days since we recorded that's a very good point that um, yeah yeah, we we realised recorded on Wednesday and this is Sunday as we record. So, yeah, that's that's a, that's a fair point actually. And uh, in fairness, I also had to like had to watch a one old to for, to discuss on one old one new. So, you know that that, that and now you see me were two kind of forced watches as such. Not that anyone's putting a gun to my head. I was happy to watch them, but anyway. Uh, dude the monkey at gmail.com at Ian Loring at Dude Foz um, at Dude the monkey. Anything else, Mark? No, I uh, like I say, we always say iTunes reviews are very greatly received, uh, and as you know, any feedback. Uh, without any further ado, before we get into the first review of the week, oh, actually, um, should we say as well, um, next week, um, there's probably not going to be a show, uh, or at least an ordinary show. Um, uh, we're having a little meet-up, uh, Rim Fest, um, at Noel's Gaff. Uh, for uh, Pacific Rim, and I know he, we, we are planning on doing some podcasting, but I don't know what the circumstances are going to be for that. Like whether we're just going to release it on all our feeds or just one feed or what. But um, it won't be a normal show, but it will be us two, Noel, and I think Jordan. Yeah, think. Um, we're not we're not really sure at the moment. Maybe yeah. Jordan. It, what it'll probably be is it'll probably be. If, Jordan's there, it'll probably be a 35mm hero show, because I'll be the odd one out, essentially, really. Uh, if uh, it's, what is it, we don't know, we'll work it out. Yeah, yeah, if Jordan isn't there, then I suppose it probably would be a dude and a monkey. Featuring no, but if Jordan is there, then it'll be a, it'll be 35mm heroes featuring this guy. Unless Noel also wants to somehow tie it into Adventures of VHS. I don't know. Anyway... Fuck there it. will be something. That, yeah, uh, yeah. And so we'll, with with permission, I'm sure we could probably put it on our feed as well. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, Jesus fucking Christ, it's still really warm. Uh, Mark, it, is, it is crazy warm. It, it is. Wow, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, right then, Mark. Uh, fucking hell. Right, okay, let's do this. Trailers. Um... I, I, I haven't really noticed anything come out in the last few days. So, I mean, like, what did you see in the cinema in front of Now You See Me, I suppose? Well, I, I, I saw pretty much what I've been seeing for the past couple of yeah, weeks, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Um, Alan Partridge, Pacific Rim, um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, I also a new Wolverine trailer, um, which for the first time made me go, oh my fucking God, I want to watch that film. Um, so, yeah, I'm, again, very much looking forward to that. Um, as I mentioned on the show a few, um, a few months ago, I was I was struggling to be up for Pacific Rim, um, and now as it's getting closer and closer, uh, I'm very much going, holy fuck, I can't wait for this movie. And also, um, after the the reaction to the screening on Friday, um, some people who have come out and said that they didn't like it have made me go, do you know what? I think I'm going to really like this film. Who's who's? Because I know they've been unbong. Uh, well, they're supposed to have been unbongoed until tomorrow yeah, there's, morning. Yeah, there's, there's just been there's been certain um, 
uh, whiny little bitches uh, on, on Twitter, people who hate movies, who have kind of been very nah. Oh, you've, you've got to Skype tell me who this is. Obviously, which has which has uh, uh, been maybe kind of go. Do you know what? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm gonna like this because there is that. Like we've we've, we've mentioned it. And I don't want it to be the people um, who are constantly bitch about other people and everything like that. And we're not. Um, you know, we we ingratiate ourselves, and that we're both very much part of the the online film community. And there, are, you know, there's nobody out there that I actively dislike. If there was, then hit the I'd just hit the unfollow button. I wouldn't just follow them for the sake of it. Um, but some of them just can be a bit whiny sometimes. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, go on. A bit kind of, you know, film's supposed to be fun. I kind of, kind of maybe I'm one, like maybe think. Oh, did 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 the second one not like it either? No, but he didn't like life. Yeah, no, fair. Yeah, that uh, that particular person is very hard to please. Um, the the first person actually um, talked to me about it as well a little bit privately and seemed a bit more up for it than well. He, the person said the general consensus seemed to be that people were up for it, um, yeah. gen- like generally, uh, but not them. So, but yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, that's I, I, that's the yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, I, I have actually seen a couple of, of other sort of trailers off uh, off big screen um, this week. So the, I, I, I might be late to the party on, on on a couple of these, but fuck it. Um, I saw the uh, Snowpiercer trailer. Yeah. Um, and fucking loved it. Um, you know, I'm a big. Um, Bong Joon-Hon fan, anyway. Uh, love Memories of Murder. I uh, think it's a magnificent film. I, I wasn't as big a fan of the host at first, but I grew to like it. Um, and I adored Mother. Uh, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. So, And, of course, you've got Chris Evans. And let's be honest, um, Chris Evans, when he's, you know, in general, Chris Evans is usually pretty great. But it, it's the whole... Um, it's the it's the Robin Williams thing. If Chris Evans has got a beard, he's gonna be it's a bit more serious, and he's gonna be very good in it. Um, if he's not got a beard, it, it's usually the more affable Chris Evans you get. Um, and looking forward to what uh, Wong Joo Han can do with uh, with an English language film as well. Not saying that they're more relevant or that they're better in any way than the other films he's made but it's always interesting when you get these um, very successful and very talented uh, Asian filmmakers who come across um, and decide right I'm gonna I'm gonna have a crack at the the English language market and you get somewhere you'll get people who you know you'll get last stands and then you get stalkers you get you get things like that and it's nice to see how they play in a different environment and it very much seems like uh, Bong Joon Han is in his own environment he's just in a different language. Yep, that's yeah. I think that's fair enough. It, it's. I wonder how commercial that film's going to be, and it looks like like it looks like it needs to be pretty commercial because it looked like it had a bit of a budget chucked behind it. But we'll uh, we'll, we'll see. That one is an intriguing proposition for the later yeah, half I, of the year for sure. I mean, the budget was about sort of forty million, which actually that's not huge. Isn't isn't a lot, but then again, it's very much 
set one, set two, set three, set four. So, and there's not an awful lot of intense CGI, we'll say, um, as other films. So, you know, like I say, it's going to be a good one for later on in the year. Um, I actually did see a trailer for uh, Mortal Instruments on... Uh, oh, that's right, I saw that as well, yeah. Uh, looks like a uh, Twilight fan-baiting pile of wank. And, uh, and the other trailer I saw this week off big screen was the first trailer for Lovelace, uh, which is a film that, for some strange reason, I've kind of been following since its early conception, uh, which, for no real reason, other than the fact that they released a very early poster and it looked pretty fucking cool. Uh, so I've kind of followed that through. Looks very good, but as with any kind of biopic, and it all depends on how sweeping it is, whether or not it's going to go, right, we're going to look at this and this, or whether or not it's going to try and look at everything, and what you get is a collection, a lot of very short scenes strung together to create a 100-minute movie that gives you actually no insight into the person's life other than the, the surface value stuff. So very much looking forward to that. hope it's as good as it could be with the talent that's attached to it. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, other than that, nothing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to think of what I saw. Um, I didn't see anything in front of the bling ring because um, they started. Now you see me ten minutes late and still played all the adverts. So thank you for Cinewell Cardiff for that. Um, so I was late for the bling ring and actually missed the first couple of minutes of that film. Um, so all I saw were the trailers in front. Of now you see me. Uh, yeah, Pacific Rim. Uh, can't wait for Friday, frankly. Um, uh, Mortal Instruments, Wolverine. Um, I think there was a couple of others, but I'm having trouble thinking what the fuck they were. I got Alpha Papa as well. Um, yeah, I didn't get Alpha Papa. Something else. Um, fuck. But they did a very strange thing at the screen in the view that I was at, uh, because... You know, you have... you obviously. Oh, The World's End, you. sorry. Oh, yeah. The World's End, I got that as well. Uh and you have you have general lighting, don't you, in a, in a cinema? And sure. then when the film's about to start, you get the the film lighting. Yeah. Um, and then of course you've got the third one, which is the house lights. Uh huh. It was the sort of general sort of trailer ad ad lighting. And then when the trailer started, they put the house lights on. And then when the film started, it went back down to the film lights. But it was really strange because it all just went lit up. Yeah, they really. Just... They just fucked up the digital playlist. That's oh yeah, what that, that is. yeah, no question. But it, it, it was just, it was fucking really weird, and yeah. loads of people got up and started to walk out. I thought, what the fuck? Yeah, what? <laughs> and then they sort of went, oh, oh, and sort of turned back around and went back around and sat down. That's weird. Yeah. What the fuck else? There was one other trailer, but I can't think for the life. Wolverine, The World's End, Mortal Instruments, Pacific Rim. Oh fuck! This is really bothering me now. What was the other one? It, um, I know it was one I've already seen, but what's bloody coming out? It wasn't Lone Ranger. Uh, are, they, are they even going to bother releasing Lone Ranger anywhere else after it took seven dollars? Yeah, that that release was brutal. Fucking really was, wasn't it? Like that. That I'm I'm amazed by that. Um, what was it? It's going to be less than fifty million for the five day. Like July Fourth yeah. holiday. That Which, is it's incredible. I mean, is it Despicable Me? Red Two. Fuck. Was it Red Two? Oh. oh. I enjoyed Red. 
I didn't think I would, but I really enjoyed Red. Um, and then Red 2 looks like the film I thought Red was going to be. I, I, I just have no interest to see that in the cinema at all, really. I mean, I liked Red, but it's just... That is such a fucking Netflix film. I don't even know. Like, that that weekend, The Conjuring's out and From Up on Poppy Hill's out. If I can get to see From Up on Poppy Hill... Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'm going to go and see The Conjuring, and, you know, that's that's fine. I mean, that's I mean, that's also the weekend that um, Only God Forgives comes out, but obviously that's US VOD, like, two weeks' time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Lone Ranger, like, that 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 is brutal. And the thing is, like, it, it, it's opening in the, in the UK Friday the 9th of August. Like, August is not a great time to be opening stuff anyway. I mean, Elysium's got the bank holiday weekend, so that that I'd imagine that will be all right. Um, but I don't know what else is that. I mean, like fuck me, Lone Ranger opens the same day as Grown Ups too. If I were Disney, I'd be worried about that now. I would be really worried because that. Well, it all, all depends on which one. Because Grown Ups two will probably get PG. I would think. Uh, apparently, it's a twelve A. So says uh, uh, the FDA website. Yeah. Because ah, that because that, obviously that that has a big. Uh, bearing on summer holiday films because it's what people can take their kids to go and see versus what kids 13 can go and see themselves mm. as the kid of 13 can't go and see Grown Ups 2 or Lone Ranger by themselves then they're probably going to plump for Despicable Me or something like that it's a strange one yeah I mean like it's I mean August what I mean, what's the? Like, I, I suppose with Monsters University out this, oh, Christ, this, yeah. this Friday, but like that—that's literally this Friday. And then what? Else, what is there for kids? I mean, there's the Wolverine, but that—that's not for kids. That's yeah. for like teenagers. Um, but then what else is there? The Smurfs too. Oh fuck out! Oh god. The Smurfs. Uh, it's the Smurfs too, and then the week week after that's Grown Ups too, and the Lone Ranger. And that's basically it for kids. Oh, and planes on um, the 16th of August. Can that's I ask a question? Is, like, planes isn't a Pixar film, is it? No, it's not. It's not. People are getting really confused, and I'm not surprised. It was in it's, it's Disney Tunes, which I've, is. I've, I've not I've not looked at anything about it because I have no interest in it whatsoever. Is it a spin-off of Cars in somewhere? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. In Cars two, they had planes with faces. Mm. So now. There's planes. But it's not Pixar. So it's now a Disney spin-off of a Pixar movie. Yeah, that really... But the thing is, it looks like a Pixar film, but apparently it was going to be direct-to-video, and then they decided to just release it in on, on the big screen. And in fairness, you know, like, the release date that they've got is actually not bad. It's a, couple, it's a few weeks until the kids go back to school, you know, Lone Ranger apparently is really not, like, family appropriate anyway. Apparently there's some really weird, like, dark shit in that. So, and I mean, Grown Ups 2 is not for little kids as well. Uh, I mean, oh, Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters comes out. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a fucking, that is a middling, middling lineup of, of stuff for kids. Hey, listen to the voice cast of Planes. Dane Cook, Stacey Keeps, Terry Hatcher, Cedric the Entertainer, Julie Louise Dreyfus, uh, John Cleese, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards. 
Val Kilmer and Anthony Edwards, really. And John Ratzenberg. Now, you see, that's further confusing, because John Ratzenberger is Pixar's, like, mascot. He, I think he's in every single Pixar film. But Planes is not a Pixar film. It, it's it's done by Disney Toons, which is, like, their, basically their direct-to-DVD division. Yeah. God, that is mental. But anyway, Planes is going to be shit. (laughs) Planes is out the same day as Two Guns. And it's out the same week uh, as Kick-Ass 2. That comes out on the Wednesday. So it's going to be a Kick-Ass 2, Two Guns double for me, frankly. Hmm. It's a, yeah. Two Guns, man. Denzel Washington, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think you can go wrong there. But... um, Lone Ranger, there's a word of mouth screening at the Cardiff Cineworld next week. I'm going to try and get tickets. I'm very, very intrigued because the thing is, like, Gore, Gore Fabinski, like, he's already done a really good Western. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, you know, and maybe it's just all the bad buzz, but then maybe there's something to Lone Ranger. Maybe not. It could be complete. It could be shit. this year's John Carter. Yeah, yeah, it just could. Put it out there, it could be this year's John Carter. It could. And for me, that's prob- that's a good thing. Oh, fuck it, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, anyway, um, actually, do you know what? That section was probably longer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, bloody hell, Pain and Gain isn't out over here until the 30th of August. No, and it comes out on Blu-ray in like three weeks in America. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does, yeah. it comes. I know, I know it comes out on Blu-ray uh, before it comes out over here on um, at the cinema. It's it's it is absolutely ridiculous because it's not so, so no what, what what is it it comes out over here twentieth of August uh, uh, the thirtieth of August 30, it's out the twenty seventh of August on Blu-ray in America Jesus I mean and as well that's you know it, it's supposed to be pretty damn good yeah yeah I I don't know I'll I'll believe that when I see it I'm looking forward to it it looks hedonistic as fuck it looks it looks ridiculous. I'll yeah. say it ridiculous. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Oh, and the following Wednesday's Riddick. Yes! Oh, that'll be alright. Pitch Black 2, please don't remember Chronicles oh. of Riddick. Holy fucking shit. Riddick and White House Down are out on, are like the same weekend over here. Oh, yes. that's a good time. That's a good time. Right, anyway, uh, that's enough of that. Um, we just fucking tangented like a motherfucker there. But any- anyway, let's that's get into it. That's what happens when, when, when no trailers actually come out. Yeah, yeah, no, quite. I mean, like, Pacific Rim is out this this Friday, so hopefully there'll be some trailers. I mean, it's Warners, and what do they have coming down the pike? Um, I doubt they'll release another Hobbit trailer already. Uh, um, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see the Hobbit trailer on IMAX, though, won't we? I would have thought so, yeah, like just as we saw the Hobbit trailer on IMAX last year for yeah. Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, it was that in Dark Knight Rises, I remember that very well. Um Right, okay, yeah, let's get uh let's get to it. So here's a clip from Now You See Me, and then we'll get straight into it. And please remember folks, spoilers right from the start, and if you've got any interest in seeing this film, it'll watch it and then come back to us for the spoilers. Yes. So I warn you, I can maintain my resolve much longer than you can maintain that phony arrogance. And the instant that you even show the slightest crack in that smug facade, I'll be there. I'll be all over you like... Like white on rice? Sorry, that's unfair. Let me warn you, 
I want you to follow. Because no matter what you think you might know, we will always be one step, three steps, seven steps ahead of you. And just when you think you're catching up, that's when we'll be right behind you. And at no time will you be anywhere other than exactly where I want you to be. So come close. Get get all over me, because the closer you think you are, the less you'll actually see. I'm going to nail you First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. Okay, so uh, Now You See Me is directed by Louis Leterrier and a uh, very good cast. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Isla Fisher... Dave Franco. Um, <laughs> sorry, whenever I say Dave Franco, I just think, oh yeah, James's brother. Um, we, <laughs> sorry, just a tangent again. Uh, when we went to see Twenty One Jump Street, um, like Dave Franco's in it, and Donna turns to me and she said, "That guy really looks like James Franco." And I just went, "Oh yeah, that's his brother, Dave." And Donna, <laughs> Donna was just like, "Yeah, yeah," you know, just kind of laughing. I was like. No, really, really. really. <laughs> that is his brother, Dave. And she didn't believe me. And I'm fairly sure I had to whip, uh, no, I had to wait until the end credits to say, look, Dave Franco. And it's just because, like, just because that's the kind of shit I'll do to cut, like, yeah, you know, joking. Yeah. And yeah. just the way you say it, oh yeah, that's his brother, Dave. But, yeah. like, you just don't expect Dave Franco to be called Dave. No, you don't. You, it, it, yeah, you expect something else. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It doesn't, um, look, doesn't look like a Dave. No, no, I, I just, he's not a Dave. Anyway, um, so yeah, Dave Franco, uh, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Isla, uh, I think I already said Isla Fisher, but if I didn't, apologies. Um, and, oh, Ruffalo. uh, uh, uh Ruffalo, uh, Marky Ruffalo and Mel- uh, the quite fetching Melanie Laurent. Um, so now you see me is the story of the four horsemen for magicians played by Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrison, Isla Fisher and Dave James's brother, um, who are brought together by a mysterious person. Uh, and a year hence from that, they uh, appear at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas and they seemingly rob a bank. Mark Ruffalo is sent to investigate exactly what the fuck happened and Morgan Freeman is chasing them as well as a magic debunker. Ah, I need a drink again, but let's carry on. Uh, Mark, what did you think of Now You See Me? Um, now You See Me, it, it, it's it's very much one of those... It, 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 it's, it's made basically for pure entertainment. It's made to be watched, and if you think too much about it, You'll start to you'll start to see that you, if you look try and look beyond the veil you'll see everything quite quite easily uh, if you think about it at all you'll work it out pretty much straight away but that doesn't mean to say that going along for the ride isn't a lot of fun I think if you enjoy magic or magic intrigues you in any way or anything like that then you'll get a lot out of this film and I, I do magic does in, intrigue me I won't just sit and watch magic shows or anything like that but it's the idea of magic it's the the idea of trickery and all these things and I had a really good time with Now You See Me uh, it's under two hours long and at no point did I start to think I'm getting bored now uh, at all points I was going along with it I was enjoying it. I was enjoying all the performances in it. There's no, there's no real sort of one particular star as well. Because usually what you get with these ensemble casts is you quickly find out that actually this is Blas' film, but it, it it very much isn't. You know, if you're gonna say it's anyone in particular's film, it's between Jesse Eisenberg, 
uh, Ruffles and uh, Morgan Freeman. But no one has a particular amount of, of screen time which really overshadows anybody else. And it's it's a great caper film. Yeah, I um I, I I maybe wouldn't say great myself, but it is like, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe not great. It's an entertaining. Yeah, it's it, very entertaining. I, yes, yeah. it's, it's very very entertaining. And I mean, the, the thing is, that's all now you see me is trying to be. I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> in, in in terms of like mission accomplished, mission accomplished. You know, but. I I I, 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 I I did have a, a fair few problems with the film. Um, I agree that it's interesting that there's not one standout in the ensemble cast, but I think that that does come to the detriment of, you know, some shit getting set up at the start and not really paying off. Um, or, or shit being set up through the film. All spoilers all the time, as we said, folks. But, um, yep. you know, I, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Isla Fisher, they have a previous relationship. But it's it, never explored. It, it's never ever explored. It's mentioned a few times, and that's about it. Um, Dave Franco is kind of set up as the kind of the kid of the group. That like, you know, you're the one who wanted to be like, uh, you wanted the one who wanted to be treated like an adult, no act like one, blah blah blah. That that doesn't really have any kind of bearing in it whatsoever. No, it 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 it, it, it that bit is a little bit like. Is there a scene that got cut out that would have made that make sense? Well, that that actually that particular bit where they're suddenly panicking, it it does feel a little bit like well, hasn't everything gone according to plan the so plan far? So far, yeah, yeah, it, 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 that 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 was that was weird. But then also, I suppose, I suppose by that point they have actively committed a crime, whereas uh, the previous one was a trick. They did commit the crime, but they know at that point that they're just suspects, that they're not actually fugitives, as to say. Yeah. Whereas by that point, they have brazenly and obviously committed a crime. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that there was a... Because it does suddenly turn to, at first you think they know exactly what they're doing at all times, and then suddenly it's kind of turned into, oh, maybe they don't. Mm. But then it's, oh, they actually do again you know by the time he gets that third uh, like the third trick um or well it's not really even a trick they just jump off a building but um <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like you also they, got they burst into um money what are you yeah, talking about yeah 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 I, yeah um I, I, we'll get to that but um i mean michael Caine. Th- there's a scene with michael Caine and morgan freeman where michael Caine basically offers morgan freeman 10 million dollars to like stop him and then um like he calls michael Caine and says you know, I've got them, how, how do you want them served? And he's like, char-grilled or something like that, or I don't know. And then that, you're shredded, sorry, yeah, that's right. And that's pretty much the last time you see Michael Caine. Yeah. Th- th- that yeah. plot thread's never, ever really addressed again. It's just Morgan Freeman just walking up to Mark Ruffalo and just going like, oh, you think you know everything, and I know everything. The Ruffalo just, like, being pissed off. Like, that that bit's just kind of, uh, just dropped completely. Um, even though, I mean, and to be fair, I mean, like Michael Caine's character by that time has served his purpose, and then he's gone. Fair enough. Um, but like, I don't know, like Melanie Laurent and Mark Ruffalo's relationship towards the end, it, it, it just it, 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 that that is is a bit like one of the producers said to uh, Louis Terrier, 
um, they need to get together. And he's gone, what? Why? Just fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. Gone, and I mean, like, right. the, the, the very last scene is brutal. In, oh, it's horrible, isn't it? it, it, it yeah. It, it didn't it, need it. It should have ended at that, at the light. And it, I got the feeling like it did end there. And then in test screenings, they went back and redid that scene. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, like the because the thing is, the film that the reveal that that character, sorry, Don is just walking past, and I almost said a key plot twist in Now You See Me, and I actually quite wanted her to watch it. Okay, thanks, hon. The reveal that that character is the one behind everything. Uh, everybody, I'm assuming everybody's watched this, so no one's. Yeah, she's gone. Uh, that is behind it. Like that's yeah. quite. That's a bit of a oh shit. Fair enough, kind of kind of moment, and him kind of explaining to Morgan Freeman, and did, did you know, you not see that coming a mile off. Um, I was, to be honest with you, I was just thinking it's going to be Melanie Laurent's character. You see, I, at first I thought, oh, it's going to be Melanie Laurent's character, and then my brain immediately went, yeah, it won't because it's that's too obvious. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's quite clearly Ruffles. But the, but the thing is. The only reason why you're saying it's quite clearly him is because of like movie, movie logic. Well, that, that, that's what it's, I said it, when it, I got. It, it, it's it's not the plot. It's not well, anything in the plot, plot has made you suspect it's, it's that. Movie logic. I, I said to Becky uh, when I came out because um, I obviously I wanted to see uh, her to see it as well. Cause I think she'll enjoy it, not because it's a great film that I think she has to see. Just because I think that majority of people who watch this will just enjoy it. It's a yeah. great Saturday night movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said, the thing is, is if you're watching it and you start applying film logic to it and you start thinking about it, it's quite easy to work out. But if you're not, uh, you know, somebody who automatically tries to work out film logic, um, then you don't need to try and work it out and you will get a few surprises. That's not me saying... Or if you're smart, you work it out. It's not that at all. It's if you're the type of person who sits there and goes when it, when and says, right, well that's that and that's that and that. Ah, it's clearly that then. Then you're going to essentially ruin it for yourself a little bit, which does happen. Um, but then the ride is still is still a lot of fun. If you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, no, abs- absolutely. But I mean, like that that the thing is. It is a little bit of a cheat because it doesn't ever, ever, ever give you any hint in the story itself no. that he is the one. Like, if, I mean, like, to be honest, I'm pretty sure if you go back and watch the film again, I think there's going to be a number of things where it's just like, that doesn't make any sense that he's done that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, clearly, yeah. There will be, it's one of those ones where, when you watch it again, you because the next time you watch it will be with Donna, yeah. I'm assuming, and the next time I watch it will be with Becky. Now they'll both probably finish watching it and going, "I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun." And me and you will probably go, "Huh." I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, it, it, it'll be one of those kind of watches where maybe where it was one of two things like that happen. You'll please watch it and go, "Yeah, still had a lot of fun with it," or you'll watch it and go, "Yeah, that kind of unraveled a lot." on yeah. that second watch. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, but I mean, the thing is, I like what it's trying to say because uh, an awful lot of it is about, like, the magician and how the, the magician, like, plans these things out. Like, you, like they 
years in advance you know it's not like the actual in the moment thing that's important it's the prep around it and i get i get that with with ruffalo's character i get that but i mean it's literally he must have come up with this plan like when he was in school and then decided to train to be a copper you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, you that's know. the bit that doesn't work a little bit. It's a little bit like, so hang on a minute, you've had all of this plan, but it was all predicated on the fact that you had to be in the FBI. That seems... Yeah, that's... You had to be in the FBI. You had, to, I mean, you had to be in Las Vegas. That's fair enough. Yeah, but... you, you can, I, I, I can get that. I mean, I'd almost appreciate it more if they'd somehow wangled it that he'd just faked his credentials or something and stuff but i don't know like obviously well, that's again, a terrible idea but then again it, it, it all boils down to this um to, to the movie universe doesn't it and, and, the, and, and film how film works and it's never it's never set in in, in the real world any film you, if, let's say you've got how to explain it. let's say you've got a clock face right and clock face is set to 12 Right, and so you've got certain films will be majority of films are between one and three, and that's the sort of level of reality. If twelve is the reality that we're in right now, me and you are talking, yeah, you've got between one and three, and the only ones that are going to be between twelve and one really are documentaries. You know, they're based on real life events, but they're always going to look at them from an angle, sure. so they're never exactly in in reality. And then you've got films that are at one, two, three, four. And then you can go right the way around to something like, uh, I don't know, um, Cars or Planes that we were talking about earlier on. They're at fucking 11. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're that skewed around of reality. This is maybe at sort of two. You know, it, it's set within a real world, but you've kind of, you've got to look at it and say, right, I have to lose a little bit of sense only i only have to lose two hours of sense of reality for this to make sense rather than the fucking 11 that planes would be yeah that's yeah no absolutely yeah yeah absolutely it's an interesting way of putting it man fair play um yeah i it, it i don't know it, it's just like these the thing is while i was watching the film none of this bothered me but when you start looking back at it do you know what one thing that did kind of um, that did shine out at me. It's a little bit xenophobic, this movie. There's a lot of French bashing for like a good sort of 15, 20 minutes. But to be fair, it's directed by a Frenchman. Well, it is, well, but then you've got all that, and it's, it, there's a good sort of 15 minute block where Ruffles is being very anti French. And then during the second um, performance bit, did you not find it a little bit like. Oh, come on. That Melanie Laurent is wearing a white and blue... Yeah, actually, that, was pretty, like, that made me and laugh, actually. It's a bit like, oh, if she would have been wearing a beret and some fucking garlic around her, that would have been a little bit... That would have... She was, like, two steps away from that. Yeah, but she looked good, though. She did She did look very, very good in it. You know, because she's Melanie Laurent and she's staggeringly beautiful. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Absolutely, yes. That's all I can say on that, actually. She's I mean, she's very, off, very she's thin. Clarkson, but she's staggeringly big. No, for that, <laughs> not for that. But um, one last thing before I, I kind of get into the stuff I, I liked about the, the, the film, for sure, though. Like, what we were saying about the ending earlier on, like, that, that reveal about Mark Ruffalo and then um, him saying, welcome to the eye, and then them just spinning around on that fucking merry-go-round. It's like, what the yeah, shit is going to happen now, then? It's a little bit like... like, like they go in and they say, oh, you know, I, I hope all this wasn't to us get robbed in Central Park at 2 a.m. And you think, no, it was to have a ride on a carousel at yeah, night. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, I like, I, I mean, during that bit, you're still kind of reeling from the, oh, okay, so it was him, that's quite cool. But then you've got that last scene, and it then, it because the thing is, I, the, 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 the gears in my brain were already ticking on the, well, hang about, hang about what? That is a bit, you know, while this is playing out. And it's it just like, like you say, if they just cut out that last two minutes, I, it would have ended better. I will also say, last complaint, I swear, because seven out of ten, you know, seven out of ten film for me. But um, I didn't like the fact that an awful lot of the magic tricks looked like they couldn't actually have been performed. A lot of them looked very much assisted by CG and editing. And yes. that, that really bothered me. Like, it, it just like, if you're going to do magic do magic you know it's like christ this this guy who just uh left my work last week he does magic tricks and stuff and he does shit that blows my fucking mind he did this one where i all i could do for the next 15 minutes was going around the office telling people get alex to do this and then (laughs) he watch him and try and figure it out i couldn't fucking do it it was amazing it was fucking amazing you know, and you, you it, get the idea in this film that the only person who actually investigated the ideas of magic and actually maybe learned a few tricks was um, Dave James's brother. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, even to be fair, Isla Fisher is an escape artist who doesn't actually do any escape artistry throughout the entire film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's a question as well. Like, why are they those four picked out as being the very, very best when, like, Dave Franco... The guy figures out the trick. All right, he nicks the guy's wallet. Well, that's that's the trick. I, I suppose that is the trick. <laughs> it, but it's... He's, a, he's a sleight of hand expert, and he's got that. The idea is that um, he's so quick and that he can do all these Fine. things so quick. Fine. So they're that's not. A good point. They're not picked out as magicians for their. The only one who's picked out as magician for their skills as a magician Eisenberg. is Eisenberg. Yeah, okay. The other ones are picked out because their skills would perfectly fit doing what they're about to do um, in terms of, what is it, you know, Dave, James' brother was picked out to, for one thing only. It was to almost get caught when he's doing all the, and that is a brilliant action scene. Oh, the, um, the, in the, the apartment. In the apartment. Yeah, that's it, fantastic. It, 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 it's, it's so well done, and it, it, it works so well. And it's funny as well, and and that's that's what this this kind of thing should be. It should make you laugh at those points. And it, it's it's clever. I want to say it's intelligent, but it's cleverly done. And you can obviously, you know, Louis uh, Letelier is, is bringing in from the Transformer uh, Transporter movies there very much so. Absolutely. I'll say one other thing. Just and I swear this is the last one. Mark Ruffalo at the start. He's all like, I don't want to do this case. I don't want to do this case. What if the chief just turned around and said, all right, I'll put him on it? You mean common? Common, yeah. yeah. 
what the fuck was Common yeah, doing? Yeah, that, that was awfully random. That yeah. was awfully random. I mean, nothing against Common. I, I don't mind Common. I, I, he, he's quite a good screen presence, but he just seemed totally wasted. Yeah, like he's in about three scenes. But, like, what if he just said, all right, you know, you don't want to do this, fair enough, I'll get this other guy to do it. What the fuck would he have done then? There's no reason why Ruffalo's character had to protest that much. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just the type of guy he was. But I... I don't know. I don't know. Like, why... Like, if... If he set it all up that he's going to be the guy who takes the case, why did, Why is he prote- protesting about it that much? And what had happened if that had backfired? Mm. I understand... Because I, I understand, like, his wariness with Melanie Laurent's character. I, I get that aspect of yeah. it. Um, even though, I will also say... If she could have just shown her Interpol credentials once, it would have made me feel a lot better. Even I suppose she does when she apprehends the car, but all throughout the film, like it, it is yeah, a bit cheeky. She carjacks that guy. Yeah, she basically does. Yes. She just basically, no, uh, well, actually, I would say that from a legal standpoint, she carjacks that guy. And also, she says she's from the FBI, and she's not. So you've got. Impersonating a member of the FBI and carjacking. And also, and also, Mark Ruffalo's character could have got very easily killed in that car crash. And also, if he had apprehended Dave Franco, oh no, but it wasn't Dave Franco. No, if he had apprehended Dave Franco beforehand, if Dave Franco just turned out to be a really shit driver, and how the hell does Mark Ruffalo's character know that Dave Franco's character is going to be really, really good in that kind of a high speed, high intensity car situation? Like, Why, if he had yeah. caught him earlier, what the fuck would he have done then? <laughs> yeah, that would have been a... Basically, Mark Ruffalo has to spend five minutes pretending to drive well, but shit. Yeah. Well, it, 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 isn't it... Well, Ron's driving the car. That's a good point. All right, let's spin it around then. What if Melanie Laron's character turned out to be fucking awesome at driving? Yeah, Amazing shit, up fucking driver. driver. Yeah, it, and, and shit. Dave Franco. What happens then? It, it, it's, it is like this. Is what I'm saying. Once you kind of you look beyond what's going on immediately, and you start thinking about it, it starts opening up all of the it all levels. I got two others. I got two others. <laughs> when Michael Caine gets fucked over, they bring him out and they say, "Arthur Tress." Sorry. Oh, thought Don was shouting at me. Um, and they go, bring him out. They say, "Arthur Tresswell, You know, let's have a round of applause. And then two minutes later, it's this man fucked over every single one of you in your insur- for your insurance. Yeah. Now, like, wouldn't there be a few people who'd think, Tresswell, hang on a second, I recognise that name. Oh, hang on a second, he fucked me out of my insurance. Why am I cheering? Yeah. Why, why am I cheering? Be- well, you could kind of explain that. Because on the previous one, the previous um, show they did in Vegas... Um, it was they gave away all that money, so the people might have gone to get a load of money. But then again, the arguments of that would be because they insinuate that the tickets were sold afterwards. Mm. What kind of event sells tickets a, like a day before the event starts? And how the hell do they know that all those people, like? How how do they know that all those people had their insurance through and had all their insurance in, like rejected? Do they have well, an that's, inside that's... man in the insurance company who cross checks people who would be interested in live magic events with had insurance claims turned down? 
Yes. I, it, <laughs> right. My last one, I swear to God, because this is almost becoming a running joke. My last one, and it's a <laughs> stupid one, and it's a silly one to end off with, but this one caught me in the first, like, ten minutes of the film. When oh, they go, when, um, they, uh, Dave, uh, James's brother unpicks the door at the beginning and they enter, yeah. why have they all got torches? That's a good point, yeah. That's a very good point. Who just carry, actually, I carry a torch, right? They all have exactly the same type of torch. <sighs> Maybe, yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. Right. I'm gonna get a drink. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, like, really thirsty, and then we'll actually talk about the things that, I liked about it, even though you've already been positive about it as well. Back in a second. Cool. Okay. I'll be back in a second. I've got a piece. Cool. Yep. Okay, and we're back. I've got a nice cool glass of Fanta Zero and I've chilled out a bit. So. Oh, Fanta, right? Fanta. Do you get a Fanta advert before you watch film at the cinema? Uh, what, like a standard? Yeah. Uh, can't say I do. We get a Fanta advert if I got a view, right? And it's going completely off tangent, but it annoys me. The Fanta advert is a girl drinking a Fanta. You know, like those weird fucking computer animated Cartoony ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a boy comes and says, I'll trade my skateboard for your Fanta. And then another boy comes and he says, I'll trade you this robotic dog for a Fanta. Then another guy comes with a fucking pimped out people carrier and says, I'll trade you my ride for a Fanta. Right? There's a fucking vending machine full of Fanta behind her. Surely they would go. Do you know what? My skateboard's worth more than just putting like a dollar in that Fanta machine. Are you it sure? It makes no sense. Are it you annoys sh- the shit out of me. Are you sure in the cartoony Fanta world that Fanta isn't a euphemism for fuck the shit out of you, then murder you, and then bury your corpse in my back garden? Oh, well, if it is, that's all right then. So now you see me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, I mean the. The thing is, it just, it's pacey as fuck. Like, I, I could really believe is. that, that like, I, I could I could sense the film was coming into an end, but I was just like, have I really been in here for nearly two hours? Yeah, it's, it's great that you've got, you've got a pre-credit sequence, uh, pre-opening credit sequence, where it's the getting to know them um, kind of thing. Yeah. And, that works really well because it gives you an insight into into their their kind of characters very quickly and the quite snappy and quite fun little scenes um, and that's where you get this idea of, of, of who they are and where the film's going to kind of take you. Yeah, no, absolutely, and <clears throat> I mean with that, I mean um, it's it's and it's nice to see Jesse Eisenberg play in somebody who's got confidence and. You know, has actually got a bit of charisma because I mean, like Mark Zuckerberg in Social Network, he certainly had confidence, but he didn't really have any charisma. Whereas here, you actually can kind of believe that he might actually be able to charm a woman into bed. Yeah, he, he, he's not playing this, you know, skew of society. You know, the um, the hyper intelligent guy. He's not. He's not playing that, which he kind of did a little bit in Zombieland as well. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, I, yeah. Uh, it, it, he's playing. He's playing a bit of a general douchebag rather than a um, a smart ass douchebag. Mm. Mm. And I mean, a smart ass. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I mean, Woody Harrelson, who 
probably, I'd say Woody Harrelson might be the the lead, the most underserved actor in the entire out of the main lot of them all. I think even Isla Fisher actually gets more to do here, or makes more of an impression than Woody Harrelson. Because apart from his introductory scene, I can't really think of all that much about no. about him. No, he, he very much... That is his scene. That's his big... That's, that's the only bit where it's kind of about him. Whereas later on, Eisenberg... Gets, I suppose you get the the interrogation scene. It is quite fun, but it, 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 it's the, the interrogation bits are more about Eisenberg than anybody else. Do we even get to see a uh, Dave James's brother and Isla Fisher interrogation bit? We don't, do we? No, no, no. It's Woody Harrelson winding them up. Yeah. And and yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't think we do. Yeah, so but they're they're quite clever scenes, and then when you look back on it, knowing what you know, it's you look at it, and I'll be interested to look next time I watch it to see if Ruffles is has worked out what um, Eisenberg's going to do, the trick Eisenberg is going to pull, because has Ruffles written the trick with the because um, it's all planned out? Mm. So did Ruffles? T- write the trick for the handcuffs to do that so he'd be able to get the phone with the, the key and everything like that or and is Eisenberg just executing it or is it that Eisenberg knows he's got to get the phone somehow so he can swap it and he just he, he in his own mind comes up with that trick to do with the the, the handcuffs which is in the trailer I think he know, I think Ruffalo just knows Eisenberg's M.O. Yeah, exactly. And, and, that, that, and just kind of follows it through. Yeah. So, so that does, but all those scenes are scenes that, that keep it moving very, very quickly so that while you're watching it, you're not questioning any of these things. It's just flowing straight over it. it, it, it it's keeping the entertainment up enough so you're not going, hang on a minute. And actually, I'm sorry, but I just thought of one other really. <laughs> <laughs> at the start, yeah. where it's Mark Ruffalo in the hoodie, like just yeah. tracking them all down, that figure at the start, I swear to God, is way lankier and thinner than Mark Ruffalo. Like Mark Ruffalo is not a fat guy, but that person He's in that hoodie, stocky, yeah, that person in that hoodie looks quite small. Yeah. Because I was literally, like, I was also kind of thinking throughout, like, who's the person in the hoodie? And I was thinking, it's not, I genuinely was thinking it's not Ruffalo, because it doesn't look like he would have fit into that hoodie. Yeah, and anything like that, I, I, I kind of, my brain goes, you know what, that, that doesn't matter, because it probably was Ruffles. It was in it. It was probably just somebody else. Yeah, no, absolute. Yeah, in 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 terms of it was probably a second unit shot of the the person in the hoodie. Fair yeah. enough, but it is a bit of a cheat. Yeah, you know, I'm, I it, it, I it, I mean that's the thing. I mean, like you look at the prestige, and it's just like everything in that film. It's all mapped out so intrinsically that you just can't. Yeah, the, the, you can't the, find the, a hole in it. it. It's not on the same level of, 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 of 
this is a clever film. It's not an intelligent film. I the thing I think it in terms of the narrative, I think it's less clever than it thinks it is. Not oh, retarded, yeah. but less clever than it actually it, it thinks it is. It, it it fools you into thinking it's clever. It tricks you almost into thinking yes. it's clever. Um, and also as well, one other thing that I'm going to add uh, is Ruffles is at the uh, the magic sort of performance bit where Woody Harrelson says that the the word that you got all going to chase down the quarterback is freeze. Surely he'll have gone. Oh, but I suppose he wants that to happen, so maybe not. That's a good point. So, he, but he does actually. But then again, he does want that to happen. He does want them to tackle him. So uh, there's a lot of points where Ruffles has got to play a little bit stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like he is his character is playing a part. I get that. It just, I, I, I think, I, you know, as as much as it seems like he's laid it all out, I think he his character seems to leave an awful lot of things to chance. I mean, it's even stupid little things like. That moment where he gets pissed and Melanie Laurent that is there. It's just like, well, why is he get? Why is he actually getting pissed? Because why is he trying to fool her into thinking that he's like actually like? Why does it matter that much to him ab- ab- about that? And why is he being a dick to her? And then why does he apologise in the morning if he actually meant to be a dick to her? It just. That that relationship doesn't work. No, it doesn't make sense. It, 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 is, it is there purely for people to try and find some kind of romanticism in the film. Like, the only thing is, like, when he says, oh, the only complication was you, it's like, why? Because she likes magic. No, because she was hot. I mean, that basically is it, though, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, 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 it's like when she arrived and he thought, oh, Interpol, he was like, oh, God, why did they have to send Melanie Laurent? I have a wicked boner right now. And also, yes, uh, I agree. But also, like, that whole thing about, like, I thought you said you had a desk job. Why are you so good at all this other stuff? And it's just like, that doesn't, like, it it seems like she's, it's built up that she's got some sort of hidden agenda throughout, like, the entire thing. But that's that's the MacGuffin, though, isn't it? But but then it it is like, well, hang on a second then. How is she so good at all this stuff if she's only got a desk, if she only had a desk job? It's all right that it's it's misleading the, the 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 viewer, but when it's misleading the viewer by having stuff that actually doesn't make sense, then that's just lazy script writing. This is written by Boaz Yakin. I, I like Boaz Yakin. He he writes good films, but let's be honest, he writes every single film. If you look beyond the surface, you're going to find a lot of problems. I mean, the fuck's sake, he wrote. The original Punisher movie, actually, which is a really good film. Um, Fresh is a... He wrote Fresh. Fresh is a fucking great movie. He wrote Safe. He wrote and directed. He did write... Yeah. uh, Fresh is a fucking brilliant movie. He did Remembering the Titans, didn't he? He did Remembering the Titans. He also did uh, the second From Dust Till Dawn movie. Dust Till Dawn. Oh, Texas Texas Blood Money. And he wrote the sequel to Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. Oh, Havana Nights. Have you seen that? No, I don't want to. It's good. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know. It's not. It's really not good. It is. It, 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 the movie, however bad you're thinking it is right now, it's worse. <laughs> nice. I, I just... It... I, 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 I don't know. I spent the majority of this complaining. But... <laughs> 
But you're still going to call it a 7 out of 10. I, I'm that. still going to say it's definitely not shit. Because it's not shit. it does trick you while you're watching it. It's it, only when you look back that you you work out all its tricks. Yeah, and, and once you have worked out all its tricks, it is kind of annoying. And to be honest, on a rewatch, I can see it going down very, very easily. It, either it's going to go down very, very easily, or you're going to finish watching it and go, fuck, he's done it to me again. I really enjoyed it again. Yeah, it go, maybe. It could, it could go either way. It could run those films where it finishes and you go, do you know what? I'm happy that that's that I've seen that film because it's a lot of fun and it is I had a lot of fun with it everyone else in the screening seems to have fun with it um, it looks very nice in terms of visuals it is a little bit too CG in places yes yeah no absolutely but I mean it, it, it is pacey it looks good even though there was an awful lot of um, fucking this, revolving 360 around a room shots yeah this will get a sequel God, you reckon? Yeah, this look, it's. I know it's done million, very well. Seventy-five million budget, and it's it, it's pushing two hundred million. Well, it's, it's done one hundred and fifty odd million so far, and it's only been released in the US and over here. It's still got, you know, the Asian market and the Russian market, which is now a big player, um, and and the rest of Europe to go. This this will push two hundred million, which when you're doing double and a bit, you know. This will get. I would think this this will get slated down. Somebody will go. Oh, could we do a sequel? It all depends on whether they can get the cast again. I just what what do you do? They're in the eye now. Well, there you go. There's your sequel. They have to try and get the fuck off that carousel. That actually, I would like that. Now you see me too. Colossal velocities, carousel danger. You know yes. that would be. Where it, where where it, 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 where essentially what's happened is is Ruffles has locked them in a carousel and they've all gone shit and they've I, got to get they've got to get out of that carousel. I'd watch that. Yep. Definitely not shit, despite the fact I've complained about it for pretty much the entire review. Definitely not shit. Uh, enjoyed the shit out of it. I enjoy, I enjoyed every single minute of it while it was on screen. Yeah. I, I but I now kind of hate myself for that. <laughs> so um, right, okay, let's uh, break for promos and shit like that, and then we'll get into some one old, one new. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really It's not visually striking. No. Just just getting confirmation. It's just in, that's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. Any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. He oh. wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Hi, this is Famous. 
famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Allie McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend, if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word, in the iTunes store. And we are back. And uh, let's get into some One Old One New. And Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, why don't you take us away? I'm going to throw my One Old out at you. Um... Not, it's not going to be a long talk because essentially since we recorded we recorded four days ago I've not actually watched a one old so I'm taking this from one of the ones that I didn't cover last week um, so a couple of weeks ago a couple of shows ago we talked about the movie Blow um, and it ended up with me talking for about ten minutes about my obsession with Pablo Escobar uh, so after that I watched the uh, 30 by 30 uh, 30 30 movie uh, to Escobar's which is about the links between Pablo Escobar and um, the now-deceased Colombian footballer Andreas Escobar. They're not related, but their um, lives were quite heavily linked. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Andreas Escobar was a Colombian footballer uh, who, during the 1994 World Cup, uh, when Colombia were heavy favourites for um, the, the the 1994 World Cup in the USA along with Italy and Brazil uh, Colombia had, had, had a bit of a, a surge from the footballing world they've become a, a force uh, out of nowhere and I'll, I'll come to where that came from in a second and they over a three year period this team had played um, something like 26 games and only lost once in, in that sort of period so they went into it as one of the favourites However, when they actually got there, the sort of things had happened within within Colombia that had, that had shifted uh, the balance, and there were basically there were death threats towards them, saying that if they didn't progress from the group stage, that they were going to be killed and their families would be killed, and so they had all this 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 pressure on them, uh, and they essentially folded under the pressure. They were knocked out by a own goal by Andreas Escobar and subsequently a few weeks later, well a, a week later, uh, Andreas Escobar was shot and killed uh, and it is strongly linked to that basically there is a strong school of thought that he was shot and killed by uh, Gallagher brothers who were the people who took over Escobar's defunct cartel essentially took over his business and was killed by them for having an argument with them in a club parking lot after they basically accused him of being the reason that they were eliminated from the World Cup Mm. the strange thing that links these uh, people together uh, is that Andreas Escobar played for um, Atletico Nacional um, Atletico Nacional uh, were funded at the time and the Colombian um, national team were essentially funded by 
Pablo Escobar. Escobar was a big football fan and saw a way of funneling uh, and trafficking his drug money through football because of the colossal amount of money you could hide in football, uh, whilst also actually um, putting money into football as well and using it as, as an ego booster, very much in a similar way as the uh, oil arcs do now with teams like Manchester City, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, nobody will admit it, but let's be honest, Barcelona. Uh, so it, it was Escobar was kind of one of the first who realised that you can't, you could become a pseudo celebrity through this, and it all goes through there. And what the film does is uh, is let's say it's one of the thirty to thirty movies, which were a collection of thirty movies made that were documentaries about sport to celebrate ESPN's thirtieth anniversary. Uh, this movie is on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix US and UK, and it looks at the lives of. Andreas Escobar, and it looks at Pablo Escobar's involvement in the life of Andreas Escobar via um, his involvement in uh, Atletico Nacional and and the Colombian national team, and looks at uh, essentially saying, right, in a strange way, had Escobar not been killed, then there wouldn't have been the people who killed Andreas Escobar wouldn't have felt they had the freedom to kill him because there would have been there was almost a code of honour that that Pablo Escobar had instilled into the um, the crime underworld of Colombia that everyone was so terrified terrified of of Pablo that they all obeyed this unwritten code that when he was killed it was a free for all and it is a from a, a crime and a drug trafficking level, it's a very thrilling and very uh, educational documentary. And from a football fan's perspective as well, it, it, it's, it shows the, the level of intensity and the level of obsession that, 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 that football can have and the, the dangerous levels that it can have. I'm a, I've said before, I'm, I'm a huge football fan. But it, it, it could be, once it starts affecting your judgment beyond it being something that you enjoy and something you become passionate by once it gets beyond that and it becomes an obsession and you start like for instance i if somebody says to me for instance ian's a manchester united fan i'm a liverpool fan our two teams don't get on our fans don't get on when Ian told me that he was a manchester united fan i didn't immediately go oh well i hate manchester united fans so i hate ian but you do get that with people, and that's the dangers of, I, of, I, of, of the tribalistic nature of football. I, I yeah, I mean, like, I, I find it absolutely, I find that absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, like, I, I, a guy I used to work with Matt when I used to work at the AA, um, he was like a staunch Cardiff City fan, and he was just talking about how much he hated Swansea one day. And I was just like, and he, he talked about it in the past. I was like, right, Matt, what is it that you hate about Swansea? Oh, they're a bunch of jippos. You know, they're, you know, they're just dirty people. It's like, what? Why? Like, is it because of the football team? He was like, pretty much, yeah. I was like, right, okay, so the football team are in the place so it makes all the people in the city like that. Yeah. What? It is, it is like that. I, I'm a very, I'm a very realistic 
football fan personally, and I don't understand that. I don't hate any other football club at all. I love Liverpool. I support Liverpool. Uh, I have been forever, and I will forever be a Liverpool fan. But I enjoy the rivalry we have with Manchester United, with Chelsea, with uh, Everton. But I don't, I don't actually hate Manchester United, and I don't hate Everton. And it's that thing that baffles me. And Liverpool fans are guilty of it uh, as much as anybody else is. Of, of when, when Manchester United lose, I don't immediately jump onto Twitter and start going, ah, you fucking lost, unless it's yeah. Liverpool that have beaten them. Uh, and I'm not a gloater. I'm a terrible winner because if I win at anything, I, I, I feel really embarrassed that I've won. Um, and so I, I can't really, really do that. I don't get that. And it baffles me that I, that I have people, that I see people on Twitter where Liverpool lose to a team, said team, and you'll get a bunch of Manchester United fans uh, or Chelsea fans going, ah, fucking great Liverpool. I like, hang on a minute. That's not supporting a team. That's that's disliking other teams rather than supporting your own team. Yeah, yeah That yeah. type of football... It just baffles me, and I'm I'm an incredible football fan. You know, I fucking watch everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from fucking I, I I once watched a Uruguayan second division match because I happened to find a link online. Nice. And I was watching it, and Becky said, Becky actually came in and said, "What are you watching? Football? There's football on a Friday night. It's like it's Uruguayan football. I said, All right." You're watching Uruguayan football. Like, now I'm watching Uruguayan second division football. Oh my God, I'm watching Uruguayan second division football. <laughs> it, was, it was to that level. and I, So now I, I, I kind of take the temperate a little bit more now where I, I watch certain leagues. But I, this gives you the... This film gives you that ridiculousness on a different level. And it, it, it is, it's frightening um, how how invested people can get and how how much they step over the line of being a fan and supporter it's into just being an obsessive. How much that kind of shit infects their world view. Yeah, it, 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 really, it really, really does. Um, and I, I, I know people who are like that. Um, and it, 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 it's kind of, you have to kind of step away from it. And I, from... From playing football with a lot, of, you know, up to a, a very high standard, um, you did see these obsessions that people got, and it, it, you still see it. Ah, oh, people who hate the Germans because of the German national team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, fucking hell, get over it. They're better than us. They're, they're better than us because they're better than us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it's. Uh... And I, I, part of that is because I have a deep, deep hatred for the English national team. Well, that's a bit harsh. Ah, oh, fucking just I I do it. it, it, it mm, they annoy me, <laughs> but but I'm like anybody. I sit there and go, I'm not gonna watch it. Not gonna watch it. Don't give a shit. Not gonna watch it. And then I watch every single England game. I I'm not gonna watch it, but I watch every single fucking one. I will do the same. And next year for a week of the World Cup, I'm gonna be over in Spain, just constantly watching it in a beach bar while with a kid. Yeah, I mean, I was I was, I was in Spain yeah. for the last World Cup, um, 
during the last week of the World Cup. So I was in Spain when Spain won the World Cup. Yeah, nice. Uh, and that was incredible. It, it's incredible watching football in Spain. They're, they're, they're wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, actually. My mum's boyfriend tells me it's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, um, to Escobar's, if you're at all interested in the life of Pablo Escobar or that kind of thing, or football, it's an absolute must-watch. Nice. Very nice. Uh, oh, you're going to give us your one old or one meow. I'll, uh, I'll go one new first. Um, right, let's see if Mark can guess this film. This is a film from 1994. Yep. Um, oh, what's the tagline? What's it saying? In, the tagline is in for the ride of his life. Right. No. 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 All right. Terrible at guessing then. The film stars, amongst others, Bronson Pinchot, Hector Elizondo. Ah, if I say that one, it's probably going to give the game away. Come on now. The bad. Sorry. Go on. Go on, I'm terrible at guessing games. <laughs> Judge Reinhold. Uh, directed by John Landis. Oh, did you watch um, Beverly Hills Cop 3? There we go. Yes. My brain was going Beverly Hills Cop 2 and it's going, no, this is not Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yes. So, um, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop 3, first time watching this for me. Um, I should have got that because we actually had a conversation about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, God, yeah, we did, didn't we? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I've, I've watched the first two for like the first time over the last year or so. Um, so I'm actually relatively new to the Beverly Hills Cop t- uh, films. I really like the first one, and I really like the second one, if for nothing else than... Detective T, how are you doing? Shut the fuck up, Foley! <laughs> it's just... <laughs> amazing uh, I, I love too for the fact that Judge Reinhold's character becomes completely different when he starts having all the weird guns oh yeah that's right yeah and you've got you've got Foley saying we need to have a, we need to have a talk later about this yeah 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 I, I uh, oh. The, the, the first two, I really do genuinely like the first two. Now the third, it, it's like it's one of those films that's talked of as being a fra- like a franchise killer, like just like a terrible, terrible, terrible film. And um, the film certainly doesn't do itself any favours. Um, John Landis is quite a kind of a he's he has been known for his goofiness and. While there there are aspects of the film where I think that is appropriate, like the whole theme park setting and the whole kind of like subverting of the, of the theme park, kind of the perfect ideal of the theme park, I quite like that. But then you've got the mechanics at the start who do a song and dance routine and it's like a fat one who does a cartwheel. And it, it, it just, it feels like it's been ram, like ram, railroaded in from a completely different film. It, it doesn't, it, 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 it's like up until then, it has been like Axel Foley being Axel Foley and like with his people and, you know, um, his boss comes along and gives him some shit and blah, blah, blah. And it feels like Beverly Hills Cop. And then suddenly you've got song and dance mechanics. 
and, and then everybody gets gunned down and then the, the, the boss gets gunned down and it's all really serious again. Um, but it's, I mean, it doesn't help itself in that. It's also got an insanely messy third act where, um, I mean, I, how much do you remember this film? Not a lot. Right, okay. Uh, basically, the, the third act of it is, um, Axel is, uh, framed for, um, uh, sending to hospital Uncle Dave, the basically the Walt Disney character of this, uh, this theme park, like his beloved. Yeah. So everybody's suddenly after Axel Foley and he has to go back to this theme park, otherwise they're gonna kill his love interest. Um, and it suddenly becomes, the film doesn't seem to know who's supposed to be a bad guy or who's supposed to be a good guy anymore because there's a bit at the start of the third act where Hector Elizondo says something like, I'm not just going to catch him, I'm going to kill him. And it's like, okay, so he's actually in on it then. But yeah. then but then he's not in on it at all and he just kind of turns up at the end and... Like, a really weird bit at the end where Foley has killed the bad guy and Hector Elizondo walks in and then Judge Reinhold walks in and just collapses. And like, and, and Murphy's just like, oh, he looks like he needs serious medical attention. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's bizarre and messy. And like, you've got Hector Elizondo. And then it, so, and then it turns out that, um, Stephen McCatty is this FBI agent. He's been kind of like stopping Foley throughout the entire thing because he, um, uh, because he, he's been tracking the, the, the bad guy and he's like, look, we are gonna, you know, this is an ongoing investigation, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that he's in on it as well. And Eddie Murphy says to him, you know, I found out something else too. There was somebody else in on it. And then like McCarty like points his gun at him and it's just like, well, when did you find that out? There, there's no, and I mean, like, and there's also the fact that why is Steve, like, there's a bit where John Saxon, who's in the bloody film as well. Um, yeah, that's a strange one. I remember him being it now, yeah. Yeah, he, he, like, it turns out that he's on it as well. And there's a bit where it's like a point of view shot and it, it uh, of someone else and he opens the door and John Saxon goes like, oh, it's you. And then he gets shot. And it's like, well, why have you just killed John Saxon? Because he's one of your guys. He's on your side. Why, why are you doing this, Stephen McCatty? It, it, it just, it becomes really weirdly messy and convoluted when it's, it's a Beverly Hills cop film. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's Eddie Murphy doing his usual Eddie Murphy thing. Uh, there's a, I mean, there's a really terrific, uh, not terrific, what's the opposite of terrific? Terrible. Um, yeah. uh, kind of, uh, blue screen adult bit where he's saving some kids from a Ferris wheel, um, that, that's gone out of control. And it, it, it just, it, it's just chucking in bits all over the place. It feels like, like these days, like it seems like all these blockbusters, like many blockbusters, are kind of written on the set. Like they they haven't gone out with any solid script. But I mean, this was twenty years ago, and mm. this feels like that. Did it have a re- does it have a really fucking bizarre score as well? Am I imagining that it, wrong? It's basically just an orchestrated version of the Axel F tune. Yeah, it, it, I remember. I remember watching because I watched. Um, I watched it when it first came out, but I watched the uh, Belly Cop movies a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, revisited them. Um, 
I remember loving one and loving two, and then this sort of been entertained enough by it, but it, it, it is nowhere near as good as them. But do you remember sort of sitting there thinking, this is a fucking strange jump from from the first two scores to this. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. It, it feels, it feels like a completely different film. If you hadn't have called this Beverly Hills Cop for it, you could have called it something else, and it, it basically would have made sense. And it probably would have been better because it, it wouldn't have been people expecting a Beverly Hills Cop film. I mean, John Landis. I mean, like you know, he is. He has been a terrific director. I'm not going to say he is a terrific director because the last thing he did was Burke and Hare. But, what, I mean, what did he do in the 90s? Like, it just feels like the 80s was amazing for him. And then he just shit the bed from there on in. Yeah, he, he's... And, you know, he, he, he can't get back. He's one of those... Definitely one of those filmmakers who's not been able to get it. I mean, you look... His 80s thing, Trading Places, which when you go back to look at it now, is incredibly racist. Um, Three Amigos, um, Coming to America, you know, these are good films. But then, I mean, like, so, here, I mean, here's his 90s. 90s. Oscar, uh, Oscar's funny enough, Innocent Blood is not very good, and The Stupids is terrible. And then Blues Brothers 2000. Have you ever seen Innocent Blood? No. It, 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 it's, a, it's a horror kind of ish film, but it's a, it's a poker straight film. There's no comedy in it. Really? Mm. Mm. Don't work. Yeah, I, I, I just. I, I don't I mean, Christ, the last thing he did was he directed an episode of Franklin and Bash. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I, 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 I just. I, I I like, I mean, Christ, I like a lot of John Landis films, but I mean, it this feels like it was a director for hire gig, but it's one where he's kind of brought his thing to it as well, but it just doesn't fit. It it just doesn't fit. He directed an episode of Psychoville. Did he really? Yeah, apparently. And I, he directed three episodes of Psych. It's just, I've just looked at it. What is it? It said he directed an episode of Psychoville, apparently. That was kind of a Wikipedia, though. So uh, I'm on IMDb. Um, Franklin and Bash Birkenhouse, three episodes of Psych, an episode of Fear Itself, Mr. Warmth, the Don Rickles Project, two episodes of Masters of Horror. That's going back to 2005, and Psychoville was after that, wasn't it? Yeah. Fuck you, Wikipedia, you cunt. Nice. But, um, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, what did I give it? Because I actually think I might have, like, hang on. Right, three out of five. I didn't think this was quite the train wreck franchise killer I'd been led to believe, but it's pretty messy with third act in particular, which seems to drop in and also drop completely. Plot twists. Uh, Murphy is on decent form. Timothy Carhart is a decent dickhead villain. And though John Landis judges things a little wrong occasionally, it's still just about fun enough to be worth a mild, mild recommend. I think it is because it's still Axel Foley being Axel Foley. I don't think his character's changed all that much. And Judge Reinhold is as ridiculous as he was in the first two. But it's just everything else feels like it's been changed. Yeah, it... It's one of those where it's not as bad as people say it is, but it's not as good as it, it, it possibly should have been. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, that's more than enough on um, uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop Three. Uh, Mark, over to you again, man. Uh, my one new is a film from this year. Uh, it's a comedy film. Um, I watched uh, the Rapture Palooza. Have you? Oh, heard? I've heard of this. Yeah, how was? Yeah, um, it's directed by uh, somebody. Um, written by Chris Matheson, um, who is the son of uh, I recently died. Shit, Richard Matheson. That's it. Um, and he uh, also, you know, Chris Matheson wrote the Bill and Ted films um, and a lot of other shit. Um, funny enough, this film is actually directed by Ed Solomon, uh, who wrote uh, Now You See Me. Okay. Which is strange. Did, didn't didn't know that's actually looked and connected the dots. Hmm. Um, you've got... Uh, this is a strange thing, because this movie has, has just gone straight to VOD. You know, it... Yeah. it, it, it it's probably just going to get a DVD release over here, kind of quietly put out there, um, which is quite strange because you've got Craig Robinson, Anna Kendrick, um, Ken Young, uh, John Francis Daly, uh, Rob Corddry. You know, it's got. It's not an A-list cast by any stretch of imagination. It's a solid cast, though. But it's a decent cast. Um, the idea of uh, Rapture Palooza is um, that the Rapture happens, um, and strangely enough, uh, people get. You know, shafts of light come down. Is this sounding familiar? And people yeah, get okay. pulled yeah. up into um, the heavens, and this is the rapture. But it's not about that. It's about after the rapture, uh, when everybody's kind of got to go on with their lives. Okay. Uh, the people who haven't been raptured. Um, uh, and after the rapture, um, the devil um, takes over um, a... Uh, American politician called Earl, who's played by Craig Robinson, who you know that he's now he decides he doesn't want to be called Earl because he doesn't like being called Earl. He wants to be called the Beast. And the idea is, if you kill Earl, Earl is the Antichrist uh, or the Beast. If you kill Earl, he'll he, Earl will die, and the Antichrist Satan as Satan will come back. So at the moment, he's just he, he's he's the Beast. Um, and he's settled in, of all places, Seattle. And the story sort of focuses around Anna Kendrick's character and John Francis Daly's character, um, who uh, they are, for some reason, and it makes no sense, um, they're supposed to be teenagers. Really? Teens, right? Now, there is no reason why they're supposed to be teenagers and not just two people in their early 20s. But it does mention at some point that they are late teens which makes no sense at all is, is, is it not done knowingly is it just like no, there it, it is it, it just, it, there's, there's a throwaway comment about one of them being a teenager um, but had that not been mentioned it wouldn't be an issue you'd just think that they were mid 20s but still living with their parents Yeah. Right. but anyway so ignore the fact that at some point it gets referenced that one of them is a teenager, so you ignore that because it makes it. You kind of start going, "What? Wait, hang on a minute, my my fire alarm is going off. Tell me two seconds." I think that might be the rape alarm for one of the teenagers he's got in his hidden room. 
She's probably in love again. Stop it. We all know the truth. I'm not editing this. Sorry about that, we have a fire alarm that goes off if it gets vaguely warm in the house. Yeah, it's fire alarm, of course. Fucker. Um, so anyway, yeah, Rapture Clues, going back to that. Um, uh, the thing is, 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 that idea and everything is, is really good. And Craig Robinson plays at the Beast quite well because the idea is that obviously Satan's supposed to be quite scary, but he's not. He's this hyper-vain um, guy who wants to be treated now like a pimp. Uh, and anybody who pisses him off, he basically kills. So, John Francis Daly's, um his dad works for um, the Beast. He's one of his security guards. Right. Um, and he's an absolute fucking douchebag, as Rob Cordry always plays. Um... And then you've got uh, Anna Kendrick's parents, um, who uh, played by Callum Worthy um, and Anna Geister. Um, her mother got raptured uh, originally, but then God sent her back down to Earth because um, she pissed him off. Right. So she got sent back down to Earth. Now, the thing is, at some points, it's really entertaining. And at other points, it's really, 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 really not entertaining. Um, and there's just certain characters, because there's this other thing where you have um, wraiths come down. And the wraiths start out, they're just kind of being wraith-like and making everyone's lives misery. But once they realise that everyone's already fucking miserable because the world essentially has ended, they just become um, drug addicts. <laughs> okay. And so they're just like normal people, but they're, they're race, but they're all addicted to weed. Um, but, so you, you've got like these really sort of clever and quite amusing things. Like the, there's these little CGI bugs that just run around shouting suffer at people. <laughs> so you've got these, these bugs, so out of nowhere people will be, be talking, and then you'll just hear this, so they'll just turn around and there'll just be this bug, bug sat there going, suffer! Suffer! <laughs> they just, and they just fly around shouting suffer at people. <laughs> and, okay. And then you've got the foul mouthed crows. Because it's like the, the, the idea is the bugs are locusts. And you right. get burning blood and you get firing boulders and stuff like that. And then you get foul mouthed crows. Which are just these crows that basically just insult people. And so these crows will be like sat like, doing what crows do and sitting on like fucking telegraph balls and shit. And people will walk by him and they'll go, Oh, you, you fat cunt. Really? And they'll go, Yeah, you, you fat motherfucker. <laughs> You're selling this film to me, actually. I've got to say. Stuff like that. But the thing is, in bits like that, it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's really funny. And Craig Robinson is magnificent. But then there's other bits. Like, whenever um, Anna Kendrick's mum is in it, it is, she is, and I'm, I say this absolutely... She is quite simply one of the most irritating, she's supposed to be irritating, but overly irritating characters in cinema history. This film, for me, this film is a solid seven. It's got no point to it at all, but it's funny enough at points to make it all right and it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's like 86 minutes, something like that. It's a solid six, seven. If you 
if you were to take out her character or have her character notch down, I don't know, 50, it would go up a whole two places, probably. Yeah, yeah. She's so irritating. Yeah. And you would notice it when you watch it. But the whole idea of the film is that um, that Rob Corddry, that, uh, Anna Kendrick's character, John Frank Daly's character, um, they want to run a, a sandwich cart. And they build this sandwich cart, but then it gets hit by a fiery boulder. So Rob Corddry tells him he can get him a job working with the Beast. So they're going to do it just to get enough money to to rebuild the, the, the sandwich cart. So they go to the Beast's um, house, um, because he can get him to do like some work around the house. Uh, and the Beast sees Anna Kendrick and decides that that's it. That he wants to marry her so he can fuck her. Right. And you get basically Craig Robinson just doing sort of all of these really just like inappropriate jokes, but trying to hide them as innuendo, but failing miserably. Nice. Like, like really miserably. Like, starting, like, someone will say something, they'll go, they'll say, oh, you know, like, I, I, I like to climb your mounds. By mounds, I mean your titties. By titties, I mean, I want to fuck your ass And just stuff like that. <laughs> it, it's just, it's delivered in the Craig Robinson way. And it just worked. And to be honest, the more I talk about it, the more I'm thinking, you know what, I actually had quite a good time with this movie. Um, and then, it, I'll let you watch it, because there's a great fight, because uh, Kenny Young plays God. And you get a fight between God and the Antichrist. Kenny Young plays God. Yeah. Versus Craig Robinson playing... The Antichrist. The Antichrist. Yeah. Right, fuck... Do you know what? Fuck somewhere. I'm watching this tonight. It, it, honestly, mate, it is... It, it may be... It, 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 it's a one-idea film, right? It's got one idea. That there's a rapture uh, and Craig Robinson wants to fuck Anna Kendrick. That's it. There is nothing beyond that. But there are... Honestly, the first time you see the Sufferbug... You will laugh your ass off. I watched. I watched this. I went into. It's going to work on Friday morning at eight o'clock for a delivery, um, and so I thought, right, I'll go in early and I'll watch a film before I open at ten o'clock. Yeah. The delivery got there eight o'clock. Delivery guy was already there. Signed for it. Gone. Five past eight. That's it. So I went across to ours, got myself some breakfast, and set up and watched Rapture Palooza. And for the eighty-five minutes, there were maybe. To a total of 10 minutes put together and it's pretty much whenever Anna Kendrick's mum is on the scene that I was like this is annoying me for the rest of it I was fucking perfectly fine with it made me laugh enough to take up 85 minutes of my life yeah and I'm, I'm baffled for some of the shite that will get released that this isn't getting a, a cinema release is it is does it just look low budget or it doesn't look it, it looks very Mid budget. Yeah. Okay. You know the CG isn't magnificent, but it's kind of not supposed to be. Yeah. No, I get. I kind of get that sense. I, I I think that maybe had the language been toned down a little bit and they played it for a a twelve A, this would have got a cinema release. But it's not. I you, you've sold it to me. Give it a go. Cause yeah. It, it, it's not as good as um, this is the end. It, it's not as good as that. But there are some proper fucking laugh-out-loud moments. And just watching Craig Robinson just be a little bit stupid, but still manage to be the Antichrist, um, works really well. Nice. 
That does sound like it would work pretty well, frankly. Yes, give it a go. Good, good. Yes, no, I will. That, yeah, that sounds like fun. Um, right, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll finish off with my one old. I haven't got too much to say about this one, I suppose. And, um, yeah, so this is, uh, The Other Guys, uh, which is in Super HD and, uh, 5.1 surround, uh, on, uh, Netflix UK. Um, and I've been kind of meaning to rewatch this one for a while, because I, I, I do like, um, Farrell. Sorry? I love this film. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, we shall get to it. Um, uh, I, I, I very much like for, uh, Farrell McKay. And, um, you know, I mean, like, uh, Talladega Nights is maybe the least of their stuff, but I still find it quite funny. But, I mean, like, Step Brothers is a film that gets funnier for me every time I see it. When I first saw it in the cinema, I was mildly disappointed. Now, it, I think it's the, well, it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. But, um, uh, the, the, yeah, I mean, the other guys, I really, really like the other guys. I really do. Um, I do. I, I kind of respect what Farrell and McKay were trying to do in terms of like trying to have a Farrell McKay comedy, but with like a like some sort of message, you know. Um, but it is kind of brutally done at times. That end credit sequence where it's just a load of facts and figures. Mm. I get what they're doing, and I get the indignation, but I will say. In a film that also has Gators, Bitches, Better, better Be Wearing Jimmies, <laughs> it, it, it is too... It's too... You, you, you can't make that message after that. No, that's that's the thing. You can't... Like, when... I mean, like, when Will Ferrell is saying that even Mendez's cooking tastes like... Oh, God, what is it? Ah. Oh. I can't remember. Uh, it... it I have to fuck. I wish I could remember, but he's just slagging off her cooking, and I it, like I, I don't know him with the wooden gun and Michael Keaton. I mean Michael Keaton constantly um, sparks <laughs> TLC lyrics, yeah. and, uh, and Feral just being like, "You, you seriously? Are you are you not joking right now? Do you seriously not see what you're doing?" <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just a bit where he goes like, "You know, and guys, you got to creep, creep." Yeah, it just it, it's. That's, uh, it, it is fucking amazing. And I mean, like, Steve Coogan's pre- uh, pretty solid in it as well, actually, I will, um, I, I, I will say. Um, he's palming them off with bribes. <laughs> and like, the bit where it's just like these two quarter-side tickets to see, uh, see the, the, the New York Knicks. And it cuts to them at the Knicks, just like, uh, on the jump and trot screaming. It's just like, hang on, this is a bribe! <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I give you a choice. Jersey Boys or Mamma Mia, and then he cuts <laughs> to the Jersey Boys, and he's like, "Shit, he's done it again!" <laughs> it's, it's. I, 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 but then they call that back later on, where they're piling him, in, him into the car, and he says, "Gentlemen, I've got two obstructed view tickets for Rock of Ages. I know, I know it's not that good a deal, but I'm not made of tickets." It's. Just, <laughs> it's I. One of my great bits of the other guys is the where he learns to dance, and he, he and the. So, are you saying you learn to dance like that ironically? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, like at the end, it's like um, he sung at their wedding, and he like he learned he, he learned to sing when he was six years old to, uh, I, I don't know, take the piss out of a, a boy's voice or something like that. I, I don't know. It's just <laughs> it's it, it. There is an awful, awful lot. 
fucking fire alarm's going off a fucking game. In two seconds. Right. Now you see, this time, folks, he didn't secure the lock, and the woman just got out. It was too too easy this time. He's distracted by this podcast. That's all it is. He's distracted, you know. He just like he kind of put the lock on. He just went. He just slapped her down and went right. You know, stay. And she's just managed to get out again. God dearie me. Fucking fire alarm. Fire alarm. Fucking back. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Ba, 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 bum. Yeah, it, I mean, it is very, very funny, and it looks good as well. I mean, it, it, it looks very, very slick. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Um, I mean, you, you like it, eh? I love it, yeah. It, it, it's one of those films where I didn't expect to like it at all. I expected to really... It just... It, it didn't look like it had a lawful lot to do, and it kind of... It felt a little bit messy from the trailers and everything. And I sort of, I actually watched it based on the the review um, you guys did on Thirty Five Minute Heroes, Ooh, and you all seemed yeah, to quite yeah. like it. Yeah. And so I thought, Do you know what, I'll, I'll fuck it, I'll give it a go. Watched it and just really enjoyed it. Thought it was just a really, it's a really fun movie. Uh, it, it's like you said, but then it does, it does feel a little bit incongruous to what you've seen, where it then tries to have this fucking message towards the end but it's just it plays around with the whole buddy cop thing um, quite well and it has enough comedy in there and enough stupidity to make it feel to make it work for some reason yeah no uh, yeah no absolutely it, it, um, it, it just it, I, I, it's just consistently it's Wahlberg. entertaining sorry Wahlberg Wahlberg is just He's such a great comedic actor. Yeah, he is. He's very, very good. Um, and I, I mean, like Eva Mendes is very game as well. I like, I like what she's doing. I and mean, I mean, again, with the like I was saying, it looks good. You've got that one sequence where it's um, they've gone out drinking, and it's like those kind of like those weird tableaus where like they're just getting up to some crazy shit in that bar. And I don't know how they did it. Do you know the bit I'm talking about? Yes. You know, and it's it just like that, that bit in itself, it's just, it's more, that's a more interesting visual moment than, you know, the vast majority of comedies get. And I mean, that's one thing I'm kind of intrigued to see about Anchorman 2, that like, whether it's going to stay with the same kind of palette and the way of shooting as Anchorman, or whether they are going to try and get a bit bigger with things. And that mm. that is going to be interesting to see. I mean, Christ, Anchorman 2 is five and a bit months away. It's not that long. No, it, it will creep up very... It'll creep creep very quickly. Yeah, it will It will definitely creep creep very quickly. And I, I, I think there will be no scrubs uh, in, there, in, in no, the film. No, uh, it will flow like a waterfall. Uh, nice. Uh, and that's it for our one old, one new. And um, we're going to take you forward into the future now with a... <laughs> clip from a field in England uh, involving mushrooms and strobe lighting probably and uh, then we'll get into it and there you go hey guys Ian again um, only clips from field in England were the trailer and it's just an awful lot of noise and bassy stuff so uh, instead of that let's go straight to the review 
Okay, and we have gone in our time machine, and we are now in the magical world of Wednesday, the 10th of July. Uh, what's happened over the last couple of days? Not much. Nah, nothing. Nothing Not much. at all. Not much. Uh, oh, even though we have had it confirmed that Jordan is going to Manchester he is, on he, Friday. He is coming to Rimfest. So he is going to get he is going to be rimming with us. He is going to get rimmed right out. So um, I'm assuming then that will mean no dude and a monkey ne- uh, next week, which means which actually falls not too bad for us because because we've shifted over to sort of recording a midweek. It'll help us kind of shift back onto a a weekend onto recording, a weekend. Yeah. early week early week release. So although you won't technically get a show next week, you'll get one sort of Thursday the 11th and then you'll get one probably a week on Monday yeah 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 so that, that that's, that's not too shabby and I mean like Heroes should be a fun one I don't think it will be a particularly long one like I, I'd be amazed if it's not just the Pacific Rim review and maybe talking about the old boy trailer or something but um, yeah yeah, I would think it'd be a little bit. But let's say, although there'll be technically no doing the monkey next week, uh, you will be able to hear us both yeah. on hear us talking about how much we enjoyed winning. Winning? Winning. Oh, winning. Oh, fucking, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I hope so. The like, I, I suppose the reviews for Pacific Rim have kind of come out since we recorded as well, and they seem to be rather mixed... Yes, um, I'm. I am ridiculously excited. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty excited too. I, I trust Del Toro. Uh, I, yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I trust the people whose reviews I've read so far. Yeah, the um, some of the stick in the muds are fairly typical stick in the muds. Yeah. Uh, one uh, of whom also did not seems to be the only person on earth who's seen the world's end so far and didn't like it. I saw a few, to be honest. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. At one point, I was 50-50, because that is what's happened. Uh, the world, first screens of the World End have come out. Uh, I did actually see three negative before I saw a positive, and then the positive started flooding through. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. I, I, but, um, I, 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 but I've seen maybe 15 positive and still only three negative. And if you were to ask me three people that wouldn't like it, I probably would have picked those three people. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, that kind of is it, to be honest. Um, and uh, even though the, the, the one particular person I'm referring to, I, I I love how contrary he is, and I think he likes it too, frankly. So there, you know, there is that. Uh, but um, yeah, anyway, that's that's in the future. Uh, for now, we're going to talk about a field in England. Um, which is directed by Ben Wheatley and stars Reese Shearsmith, uh, Michael Smiley, Peter Ferdinando, uh, Ryan Pope, Julian Glover, and even though he's in the opening credits, he's in the film for about 10 seconds, Julian Barrett. Hmm. Uh, Mark, what did you think about the field in England? And spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. A field in England. Uh, bear in mind, I I didn't like Sightseers, but I very much like Kill List, and I very much like Down Terrace. So I was very much looking forward to field in England because to me, um, Sightseers was Ben Wheatley was the director for hire for that more than it was his film. Whereas this was 
very much his and um, Amy Jump's film. Uh, it is at points um, it is brilliant. Uh, at points it's funny. At points it looks really pretentiously student-ish. Um, and what I will what I will say about it is is it came out on all formats. Um, I I recorded it. I was at work, so um, I, I couldn't watch it. I recorded it and watched it later on. Um, had I seen it in a cinema and paid a tenner to go and see it, I wouldn't have been disappointed. Had I bought it for fourteen ninety nine on Blu-ray, I wouldn't be disappointed. Um, and had you know, I watched it on TV like I did. Again, same thing. I, I would be, I would have been very happy. Um, it's very much a curiosity of a film, um, more than something I think that will that will live in the memory. We'll say. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it, it, I, I think it will live in the memory for me, um, and uh, not not just for the uh, not just for the way it was released. I mean, which, which basically, I don't know. It's kind of been a double-edged sword for the film because it's gotten it more far more attention and press coverage than it ever ever would have, but it does threaten. The film is threatened to be overrun by all the talk about the release and not actually talking about the film itself. Mm. Um, so, but, so I mean, maybe I'll just go to the film itself. Um, I, I've now, I now ha- have seen it twice. Um, uh, both times I watched it in five point one surround. Uh, the first time I watched it quite quiet because um, Donna was asleep upstairs. Uh, second time it was uh, the morning, so I had it cranked up loud and. It's a. Uh, I, I I really 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 like a field in England. Um, I'm uh, I'm a Wheatley uh, apologist anyway. Um, even though I don't I don't think he's had too much to apologise about, frankly. But um, I I think he's four for four, whereas a lot of people don't. Um, I I think it's again a very singular film. Um, and I mean with sightseers, he was directed to hire uh, for hire to an extent, because, you know, Steve Oram and Alice Lowe had, you know, created those characters way before Wheatley had got involved. But, I mean, like, I think it as degrees of director for hire go, yes, he was a director for hire in comparison to his work, but in comparison to, say, like, Brett Ratner on X-Men The Last Stand or something like that. I don't, well, yeah, I mean, you know. it, 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 to, to that extent, yeah, he, he does have more of an eye, but definitely with Sightseers, it was, it was there characters and it was there that their characters provided the feel for the film yeah, whereas yeah, yeah. this and um, and kill list and, and downstairs they feel more like companion pieces than uh, than than sightseers it, it, although sightseers you can sing it out as a Ben Wheatley film it, it doesn't have the same tone and the same feel as this and let's say kill list have Yes, no, uh, that, that's, that's, that, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel that in, in England itself, um, I like that it is surreal and it, you know, admittedly, it is quite student filmmakery in, in, in how abrasive it's being with, uh, with its visuals and, and how kind of in your face it is. But the thing is, like uh, you know, quite a few people have have written the film off as be as being pretentious, but I don't 
I don't think there's a pretentious bone in Wheatley's body, to be honest. I mean, just... I disagree on. I, 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 I agree with you. I don't think this film's pretentious. I think that Ben Wheatley could be quite pretentious. Really? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, without question. I think this film, at points, is very full of itself, but that's not a criticism. Okay, in 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 what respect? In the sense that it's. It has no intentions. Um, similar to um, Herzog, it has no intentions to really explain its story. Its story is happening, and if you get it, great. If you don't, so what? But that's not a... If you don't get it, you won't enjoy the film. This film very much is going to do what it's going to do. And it's not going to compromise on anything. And in that way, often, it does get quite full of itself. The whole stopping to have not still shots, but to have shots where it's, it's still, not, not photographic, but still shots, reminded me a little bit of in the way that Herzog essentially says, I'm going to make this film. If people like it, fine. But if they don't, I don't care because that's how I want it to look. That's what I, I, I got from this. I think point. that's I think that's fair enough. But I mean, I'm, and other people have pointed out those kind of tableau shots specifically. But when one of those shots is of a man examining another man's weird fucking looking bell end, mm. I, 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 I think there's a certain amount of no knowingness about it like it, it's not like it's trying to be beautiful or anything like that no, no, I, I, I agree with that I, I think it, it it is as much taking the piss out of itself as it is actually kind of glorifying itself sure. but, it, but it, it, in that way to make this type of film and to put a, a knowing reference to your own filming uh, is a little bit, I think it is a little bit kind of like full of yourself a little bit. But again, like I say, not in a negative way, in a way that made me kind of go, fucking hell, but but made me smile at the same time. I enjoyed those bits. I thought they were very, uh, they were very confident. I just thought it was of the mood of the film. In all honesty, I I I. I, I that's 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 interesting. I I just thought it was part of the odd visual structure of of the film. You know, like the some. I mean, like some of the some of those little tab- tableau shots. I mean, you got the Bellend one. You got the one where Shearsmith's kind of got his arms in the air and he's kind of doing a weird pointy thing. I it it it, it just all kind of felt fell in the mood of the film for me. It didn't. It those shots didn't stand out i mean like when people were referencing them i actually had to remind myself what they were that's how much they just sank into the film and didn't stand out for me so that 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 is interesting because i mean like like you say i mean like you're not the only person to bring those up in talking about that um but uh, like it, it just like recalling it now i i remember those i mean the the one that i'm a little i i would maybe say kind of what is the point of that it's just the um the uh, character friend singing uh that baloo my boy song or uh, oh, i quite uh, like that 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked it, but it was one where it just made me think, well, what exactly, uh, what exactly is the point, is the point of that? I, 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 what I took that is, is that was the, the time, the, the descent into the field, really. Into the, that was the start almost of the, of the madness. It was kind of an introduction of, right, this is what's happening. They're on their way to uh, the ale house. They're obviously not going to get there. And then that kind of, it was, it was like, almost like that was like, almost like a, a prelude. And then that was an introduction to the madness that was about to ensue for the next sort of 70 minutes. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah, no, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, what I also very much like about the film i mean like it, it is sur- it, like kind of being surreal and whatnot but it's also remembering to have a story and have some char- characters that you actually care about um like i mean what one basically this to me feels like what other people are feeling about upstream color where it's like a singular director making a challenging visual film but where this film succeeds for me where Upstream Colour doesn't even though I will re-watch Upstream Colour by the end of the year yeah um, I've, I've still not got to it yeah I, I, I won't spoil it for you I'm quite gun shy about it to be honest yeah, yeah yeah it's one of those films that's been built up so much that I don't want to watch it and go that sucks I, I just <laughs> I just think as long as you don't go in like a field in England again as long as you don't go in thinking it, this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Mm, you know, but lots of people are telling me that about upstream colour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, to be honest, I I've been kind of been telling people that about a field in England, so I'm I'm just as guilty, but on a different film. Um, but I don't care. But um, yeah, I, it, 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 I, unlike that film, I think it actually. It has a story which has a beginning, middle and end and always feels like the director knows exactly what they're trying to say. Whereas with that film, it kind of felt like a bunch of stuff. And I think if you were being uncharitable with a field in England, I think you could say that as well, because I, I, I think to an extent you have to be in a certain state of mind for it. I think you have to be very sober. I think you have to be very awake. You know, it's not, it, even though it's a film that involves mad, uh, like mushrooms and like tripping, I don't think it's a film to trip to. Frankly, I think it would be a terrifying film to trip to. To be fair, the thing is, I've never understood that the logic of, oh, that film would be great to watch on acid. It's like, that that would be the completely, that would be an absolute waste of, of any kind of drug would be to sit in a room and watch a film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's yeah, exactly it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I like the characters. I like the plot. Uh, I mean, like I really, really like Richard Re- 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 Smith's um, like, transformation. Um, his way of turning from just this bookish, nebbish kind of geek, I suppose, who... Is basically has this power awoken in him, but then he kind of uses it for purposes that the person who awoke it in him didn't intend it for. I I I I I think that's quite a cool idea, and I mean, and and the fact that 
Whitehead lets some of the darkness in. I mean, there's that, that the one sequence that it seems like uh, like most people are mentioning. Uh, I, I'm hearing this talked about more than the trip sequence myself is um, the slow motion sequence with the like odd music and Shearsmith coming out of the tent with the rope. Yeah. 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 It, 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 uh, I've heard a lot of a lot of referencing to to the the, the whole sort of tent thing. Um, I just found it uh, slightly amusing, to be honest. You see, that's the thing. It it weirded me out, um, and it seems to have weirded a lot of people out. And it's just that look on his face where um, I, I I mean I said this on um, uh, fucking. Um, played by the name of the heroes, the other podcast to do, Jesus Christ. Uh, but um, the it reminded me of like uh, Apex Twin, like um, the kind of come to daddy era, like the mm. the uh, the I, I think it's the is it the album cover that's um, the girl's body and like the guy's kind of like leering face. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it very much reminded me of um, of that. I must say. Um, and yeah, it weirded me out. Uh, I mean, like the fact that that sequence goes for so long and it's got that that music. And I mean, the sound in the film is insanity. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I mean, throughout the whole film, but in this bit in particular, the bass is crazy and the stuff going on in the rear speakers. I, it, it's a treat. I'd love to see a field in England in the cinema if anywhere in Wales actually showed it. Was there nowhere? Did not. Get to Cardiff in the end. No, nowhere in Wales. That's that's strange. I thought somebody would have at least picked it up. That's weird. Fucking, do you know what? Fucking crazy release, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it just, I don't know. It, I, I don't think like Wales in general has the film capital to to really attract, uh, to get things like that in. I mean, maybe if Picture House ever does open up in, in, in Cardiff, which, you know, maybe it will, because they said there were going to be more sites before it got uh, referred to the Competition Commission. But, uh, you know, with that, maybe there'll be hope in the future. But for now, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was just glad I got the Blu-ray early, you know. But um, Yeah, cause, I mean, it, it, it was screened three or four times at, um, at my local Picture House at City Screen. I think it had three screenings. It was screened on the Friday, Sunday, and on a Monday. You see, that's 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 awesome. I mm. I, I think that's 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 very very cool. But um, it just you know didn't. I mean, it's the thing is, it was a Friday where there was the Wimbledon semi-final one. There wasn't that much on in the cinema. I don't think it would have hurt a chain like Cineworld. To just do one screen. Ah, uh, yeah, but they've got to be showing, you know, still be showing what's the um, Man of Steel on 2D and 3D, and they'll be showing there's something else out, uh, World War Z on 2D and 3D. But I mean, it, it's even if they put it on in a small screen and they, you know, as much as I wouldn't want them to, they cancel the show behind the candelabra. Mm. I mean, the, the ridiculous thing is, is um, Nowhere in York was showing Bling Ring this week. I mean, yet View had um, Despicable Me. Yeah, they had three films on six screens: Despicable Me, World War Z, uh, Man of Steel, over six screens. It, it's summer. 
It's That's summer. It. I, I, I'm amazed in the, like, uh, distributors even try releasing indie films. Mm. You know, it, it, it just, it's, it's summer. I think it's just you have to, you have to write off two or three months. Right, going back to the film. Uh, the, the choice to uh, to go black and white. Uh, what did you think of that? Uh, solid. I, I liked. I liked I, the look of it. I can't imagine this film of look of looking or being feeling as good if it wasn't in black and white. It, um, yeah, no, I no, it wouldn't. I mean, it, I think it would show off the budget more mm. like the clothes i think would suddenly look very very tatty and low budget and you know i mean like it gives the location which is essentially a field it it, it i don't know it kind of gives it a an, a, a kind of an otherworldliness a uniqueness that um you know i i think it would look it would look more like a student film if it was in color frankly yeah I mean, it was the thing is, is what I've not heard a lot of people. And I, I, I got out. Like I say, I, I got a slightly Herzog feel, uh, a Jodorowsky feel, and it felt a little bit like Ben Wheatley had watched Valhalla Rising a couple of years ago and thought, "Ooh, I've got an idea." And it, it, it all kind of felt good, and it all, it all worked. And like I say, I, I did enjoy it, but. It's one of those films where I enjoyed it, I liked it, um, but in my brain I'm saying I I don't can't ever see myself watching it again. But I'd like to get the Blu-ray so I can see how it was made and the ideas behind it and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, no, absolutely, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry, I just got distracted a bit distracted by something on my computer. I do apologise. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mark. I just, um, I just kind of lost the, lost the thread there, mate. Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, I was just saying that uh, the, with this film, I, I can't see myself ever at the moment because you watched it twice. Within, oh, yeah, within a week. yeah. No, sorry. Uh, I can't see myself wanting to watch it again in the, in the next couple of years. But I will probably still buy the Blu-ray because I'd like to see, you know, the ideas of of how it was made and sort of bits behind that, that that seems quite interesting, to be honest, the whole ideas of that, and the fact that watching it, it seems like they had quite a bit of fun making it, to be honest. It seems like, it's a strange one, it's quite a fun movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I was surprised by how entertaining it is, and again, I think a lot of that comes to the interactions between the cast. Mm. You, you, you know, they... they like the three of them have quite a warm thing going on, and then you've got like the bad guys of the piece who I, I, I mean Michael Smiley's threatening as fuck, and I love the way that Ryan Pope's uh Cutler, like the way he just loses his authority like steadily as the film goes on. Mm. Uh I you know, and by the end he is basically like an Igor character or something, you know. <laughs> I, I, I do very, very much um uh, uh like that and um I don't know, friend's uh, deathbed speech about, um, yeah, like, send my wife a message, I hate her. Yeah, I hate her, yeah. You know, that is, uh, I mean, like, very darkly funny. It, it, I mean, that's the thing, that's why I was able to watch it twice in pretty much the space of a week, is because I found it very entertaining, as well as being impressive. Yeah, I, I, it, it was, 
it was a lot. It was a lot less um, hard work than I thought it was going to be. Yes, yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's absolutely, I, I think that's absolutely fair. It's even though I say it's, it's a film that you have to be sober and you have to be paying attention for. That is just because. You know, otherwise you'll lose thread of the story but that's not to say that you wouldn't be entertained by it you just start wondering what the fuck's going on even though if you pay attention it's pretty obvious what is going on yeah yeah certainly um, but I mean do, do we have much more to be saying about it at all no I, I don't have much more I mean what I'll say is it, it's definitely not shit it, it, it's, it's uh-huh. definitely um, I had fun with it, it, it it's fun um I'll be honest. At no point could I take it seriously, but again, not a detrimental comment. I I I just don't think it was that much of a serious film. I thought it was, like you said earlier, it was very knowing of itself. Yeah, and I I very much got got that out of it. Um, it wasn't exactly what I expected, but not in, again, not in a negative way. Um. I can see why some people would have issues with it, but it's definitely a not shit for me. Awesome. Yep, definitely, definitely not shit. So um, that is a field in England, and let's move straight on. Uh, Let's have a clip from, uh, well, the whole trailer from the Napes in our Spike Early Marathon. This is uh, Jungle Fever. Why are we out here tonight, Flipper? All right, you got to promise me that you're not going to tell anyone. I lift the seal. Come on, what happened? All right. But you got to swear. I mean, this is like swearing on a stack of Bibles, swearing on like a zillion rosary beads. I swear on my great-grandmother, okay? We swear, we swear what? I, I cheated on Drew. I'm saying somebody. You too, Tyra? Who are you seeing? Oh. I thought you were going to drop a bomb. I... And what is he, like blonde, blue-eyed surfer type? Hey, dude. Right? <laughs> She's white. White. Yeah, you're always black. If your father ever found out, I don't know. She's Italian. H-bomb. Vincent Hurst. Nuclear megaton bomb. Hey, look, this is the 90s. There's nothing wrong with it, you know? The both of you's got jungle fever. The both of you. Shiora, Spike Lee, Ossie Davis, Ruby D, Samuel L. Jackson, Lynette McKee, John Turturro, Frank Vincent, and Anthony Quinn. 
got a big problem. You and her. Original songs by Stevie Wonder. Okie kokey, and uh, we are back, and we've done some unexpected fast-forwarding in time again. Uh, we are now a week hence from th- when we actually started the recording of the show. <laughs> uh, my fault, um, a little bit of uh, personal uh, stuff meant I had to get off a little bit early um, after we did a field in England. So again, we are back. Uh, normal service will resume next week, and I would have put a thing at the start of the show to say that anyway. Right, so we are moving on to the Spike Lee early, Spike early marathon even, and we're going to be taking a look at Jungle Fever. I've mentioned a few of my thoughts to Mark when we were getting thoroughly Pacific, Pacifically rimmed on Friday, um, but I don't really know what Mark thinks, so um, I'm just going to ask Mark, what did you think of uh, Jungle Fever? Uh, Jungle Fever, I'd like to say I'd seen this film, uh, but it's been about probably just shy of 20 years since I've seen this film, so obviously um, you you view films very differently um, according to different points in your life. Um, And of course, with this film, it it deals very much in the the realms of, you know, you've got this middle, I would say, would you say it's kind of, it's not the lower end, it's quite sort of middle class um, America in New York, uh, and then dealing with a slightly below that as well, and then you've got thrown in with that, you've got the idea of mixed race relationships, and I think the story that Spike Lee is trying to tell, or not even the story, but the idea that Spike Lee is trying to explore is something very interesting. Um, the problem is, is the way he explores it um, is far too leaning towards his own um, views and his own, at the time, becoming increasingly militant uh, outlook. And also as well, the most interesting part of this film is actually a, a really sort of small sort of branch off of the main story. Uh, with Jungle Fever, so is that John Turturro and it's no, it's not oh. actually. It, it's it's um, Samuel Jackson's character. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Uh, sure. It, it, it's probably the most interesting part of the film because it, it, it quite simply is the best performance in the film, which is strange because it's a film where the performances are actually quite good and the ideas are quite good. It's just the execution of the story in the script I think where this film really starts to fail and it all starts as a very early bit in the film uh, where I think it starts where Wesley Snipes um, character um, Flipper is stating to Badgeroof and um, Tim Robbins that he wants that he wanted an African-American secretary yeah Um, and then Radouf kind of says, you know, we're we're actually sort of, you know, you're entering a little bit into reverse racism here. And it's not entering a reverse racism, it's outright racism. And straight away there is a little snapshot in how I think Spike Lee at the time viewed uh, the, the content or what he was trying to achieve in this film is that if uh if you get a Asian or a black or Hispanic being racist, 
it's not racism, it's reverse racism. And it, it, it's just that one little line where it kind of makes things, hang on, that's not reverse racism, that's just, that's just racism. Yes. Um, and it, it kind of then continues throughout the film like that. Yeah, I, I think Jungle Fever is very, very close to a train wreck myself. Um, I, so frankly, I was not a fan. Um, I don't think it's absolutely woeful, and I think in large part of that, it, to be honest, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson's character. He's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we, we will definitely get to him. Yeah. My problem with this is that it basically, it was interesting. Um, I was listening to the latest Chinstroker versus Punter, uh, where they covered Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And Paul was very, very negative on Do the Right Thing. He was just saying it's two hours with, like, really annoying characters. You don't want to spend time with them. It's all just incredibly screechy, and that's all there is to it. The thing is, I loved Do the Right Thing. But Jungle Fever, watching Jungle Fever, I felt like Paul watching Do the Right Thing. It's uh, it, 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 it's nearly two hours of really clanging. This is what I'm trying to say. It's over two hours. Is it, okay? Is it over two? Over oh no, it hours. is. It is a bit over. It's like two hours six or something, isn't it? About that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Um, it, it, it's Spike Lee shouting at you for two hours, but unlike Do the Right Thing, there's not really. There's not really any levity. There's not really any, you know, I, I think you need a bit, just a bit more positivity, frankly, a bit like, because yeah. this film, pretty much every scene is more miserable than the last. And the end of the film, the very last scene, oh. I, I almost thought that he was ta- he was just taking the piss. I thought it was a reveal that he was just taking the piss. It, 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 that end shot is, is, it's it brutal. Is, is, it, it really is. It, 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 it would lose at least a star just for that end shot. Like, I just... It already... The bit that it's referring to from earlier on already fell out of place, where and I, I kind yeah. of get it that, like, he's seeing what's happening to his brother and he doesn't want it happening to his kid. But just, like, his reaction in the earlier bit, and he just shakes her and he's like, don't you ever do drugs! Don't you ever do drugs! You know, it just... And then later... And, and then that... I, it, it just is brutal. It's it, and I mean the thing is, there are moments like that of just really, really obnoxious bad filmmaking. Like his trick, it's all right once, but his trick of having uh, an incongruous song loudly playing over violence or an yeah. intense situation, it's okay once. But literally, I think it happens three times in this film. So by the third time, you're just waiting for it to kick off. There's no tension there, even no. though that's obviously what he was doing. And also, sorry, uh, my last point, before, yeah. the, 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 the music in general, like the start of the film, the Jungle Fever song, which, I mean, I, I was talking to Noel about this as well. It does feel like like Stevie Wonder just wrote that in five minutes. Yeah. The, the the Jungle Fever song and the opening titles where it's just like the characters and the crew's names on like the different signposts. It, it's painting a picture of a much more sprightly, film. playful film yeah, than it, Jungle it, Fever actually is. It, it, it's kind of, 
it, it, it's, it's saying that this is going to be a, a comedy with dramatic elements, yeah. and it isn't. It, it very much is a, a a kind of miserable look at society. It is miserable. That is that is the word for this film. I think also well, what what I think seriously hampers it is there are only a couple of of actual characters where you can actually you actually don't mind spending a little bit of time with them um but the fact that your the main character of flipper is just he's not a nice person to spend time with no. he's an arrogant militant racist um who cheats on his wife uh and then almost kind of it's like he blames everybody but himself for the fact that he cheated on his wife. Or like he doesn't see it as something, a, a, a big deal, that he cheated on his wife. It's very much... And he keeps going back and trying to get his wife back and convinced that he's sorry. His reaction when he... he when he... Uh, when she's chucking his stuff out the window and he's almost laughing at her. He's like, mm. just tell me what I did. It's like, you fucking full well know what you no, did. what you did. You're... you're in all fairness, you're a fucking scumbag. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it, it just like, okay, he says, oh, I never thought I'd cheat on my wife. I've never planned on cheating on my wife before. And also, I mean, like, what also doesn't help this is the fact that there is no sense that Wesley Snipes and Annabelle Sciorra's characters get anything out of each other other than shagging. There's mm. no chemistry together whatsoever there's no there's barely any scenes of them just laughing and having fun there's that one scene where uh they're in the like the barely furnished apartment where just before that i think he tried to get his wife back wife and back, suddenly yeah. he's moved in with her yeah it, it, it just we get the the terribly executed uh scenes of them eating at the oh my god at the, yeah, the Chinese takeout yeah yeah, yeah. but oh. the thing is is what happens there is they'll have a Chinese they'll have a Chinese takeout and they'll be wearing one set of clothes and then the next time they'll be wearing a different set of clothes but it's all done as if it's one scene yeah 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 yeah, yeah. they just keep changing clothes so you're like wait do they does Wesley Snipes just keep on spilling shit on his shirt yeah, and going yeah. and changing it or is this supposed to be over different nights because if it is over different nights. At least move stuff around in the office a little bit, yeah. not just have him change his shirt. Yeah, it, it's it's this this film's brutal. This film actually, do you know what? Yeah, this film is a train wreck. Yeah, I, I would. It's it's not saved by certain scenes. It's there are certain there are one or two scenes in it where. There, those particular scenes are so much better than anything else that you could literally just take them out. Well, you could take out every. We'll get onto it now because we need to have a little yes, bit of positivity be yeah, because yeah. I've still got more negativity to throw at it. To sure. be honest, um, if you took out Samuel L. Jackson's character and just had, and I've, I've thought about this, and just had his character, I would say you'd have a pretty incredible twenty-minute film. Mm-hmm. Because the scene where um, they go to where Wesley Snipes Flipper goes to the Taj Mahal, which is essentially just a big abandoned building, that, where, which is and it's essentially a music video that yeah. section, and that is that is 
a, a brilliant the, the shots that he's getting within that where uh-huh. he's sweeping around and he's because he's not showing you a crack den that's an apartment. Yeah. He's showing you something. He's saying because before crack dens were little rooms in motels or little abandoned apartments with a mattress floor on the floor yeah. and really dark. What it's showing you is this is a building. This is a fucking huge building, and it is just filled. And the fact that he's walking in and just coughing, and having to put a thing over his shirt because there's just there's his base, he just crack floating around yeah, and yeah. cracks floating around. It gives you an idea of, of Spike Lee saying, "Look, you think that this this urban crap and the fact that they're not all black as well that are in there." Well, I mean, you got that one shot of the businessman kind of leaving it just as he just as he's about to enter as well. Yeah, it, 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 and then it kind of sprawls out and he's spinning the camera. Out. It's a very that is very good. It's very well done. Um, and then you've got the fact that Samuel Jackson's character, um, what's his name again? I've forgotten. Gator uh, is he's a completely remorseless drug addict. You know, he's very... The fact that he keeps on singing that he likes to get high and he dances all of the time. I'm a crackhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very happy with his place in life. He's a crackhead. And the great bit of the... It's horrible, but it's a really well done bit where he's saying to Flipper, you know, can you loan me some money? He's saying, no, he said, right. So I've got to go rob an old lady. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I don't like beating on old ladies to get money, but I'm gonna because I like to get high, and it, it's it's such a brilliant character because there's there's certain little moments where you get to see because this is Samuel Jackson before he became Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is three Pulp Fiction, and and you get to see little snippets where there's a bit where he's Flipper's just leaving the Taj Mahal and. You get this realization of Samuel Jackson, where for a few little seconds he doesn't like who he is. And oh, he that, that, yeah, when he's kind of looking away, where that that girl's just fucking screaming still. Mm. But yeah, yeah, little, yeah. Little, little cracked out Halle Berry. That is Halle Berry, is it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And um, you just get that, and then the bit at the end where he remember all spoilers all the time, people, uh, where he, he's confronting his dad. At that moment there as well, he he almost realises that maybe he shouldn't like who he is, and then what happens, happens. But it, that part of the film, that film, is a much, much, much more entertaining film. The problem is, is you get these little three or four minute scenes every sort of 20 minutes, yeah. and then the rest of it's just confused misery. Because, like you said, there's no. It, it, also, as well, you, you, the idea is you're getting these two juxtaposed positions where you've got uh, Flipper talking to Cyrus about the fact that he's having an affair and it's with a white woman, and then you've got Angie talking to Deborah Mars or another friend about the fact that she's having an affair with a black guy, and about how both sides see it as something, you know. Oh, you haven't affair with a white woman. Oh, you haven't affair with a black guy. But there's a there's there's, there's more of a nastiness yeah. towards the from the Italian American side of it. You know, the Cyrus's response is, oh, you know, well, she's chasing you. She's only with you because she wants to try, you know, going with a black guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other side of it is, 
you're having a fear of the black guy. Oh, that's disgusting. And it's very much the, he's, he's saying, oh, look, look, you know, it, both sides are as bad as each other. But the Italian Americans are so much worse. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, what, what's the reaction of the wife to Wesley Snipes is, I'm going to chuck all your shit out. You know, the reaction of the Italian dad to Annabella Sciorra, I'm going to beat the living fucking shit out of you. Yeah, it it, it was just every every time it went from one from the um, from Flipper's angle, it then went to Angie's angle. It was turned up two or three notches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the fact that when you when you've got um, Paulie. In the the cafe slash shop that he works in, yeah, you've got all the Italian American guys are, are incredibly horrible people. With the exception of, I mean, John Turturro is probably the only likable character in the entire film. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. And what happens to him? He gets the crap beaten out of him. Even though there's, I suppose that's the one moment of hope that the last bit we see of John Turturro's character is going into that girl's house. Yeah, and the, the, the fact that as well is um, he has the best line in the film. The only line where I actually thought, where I actually started laughing at that kind of proper actual smile on my face outside of Samuel Jackson's dancing. And it's the great bit where his dad says to him, you don't like me, do you? And he says, no, I, I, I do like you. I want to kill you, but I do like you. Yeah. And I'm still going out <laughs> and walks out. And that was just a, such a brilliantly... It's one of those lines where only John Turturro could actually execute that. Yeah. Because he's got such a... He has such an earnest kind of look about him. I mean, it, it, it's... I mean, Turturro these days, he kind of just paychecks a little bit. Not as bad as, like, Peter Stormare, but he does, he does that a fair bit these days. But between Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever, it is... A snapshot of what the guy can do. They're two completely different characters, and he feels completely believable in them at all times. You know, you know, one's very, very impulsive and brash, and 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 the other's actually quite sensitive and feels like a bit. He's a bit isolated in this world. Now, I, I think he's great in both. If if you actually if you go back and you look at John Turturro's career, it's incredible mm. that some of the films he's been in. Um, you know, going back, I mean, it really is. He's an actor where you look at it and you think, shit, he's been in some incredible movies. The fact that he's worked so much with the Coen brothers um, and the fact, when you look back, he's he's a little bit like a lanky Steve Buscemi. A lanky Steve? Yeah, no, I suppose he is. In, in terms of the fact that he, he's had so, he had so long as just a character actor. And then... He started to, in the past sort of five or six years, he started to do films where you're looking at him and he's in stuff like the Transformers movie. And, you know, he voiced um, something in one of the Pixar movies and he started moving into bits where he's maybe gone, do you know what, I've been doing this 30 years and I, I need to start making some proper, you know, some proper coin at it. Yeah, no, I mean, which I, I, I suppose is fair enough. I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, between this, do the right thing, Barton Fink and Big Lebowski, I mean, he's kind of set for me for life. If he, if oh, he yeah. wants to be in the Transformers films, fair enough. 
I mean, and, you also I like got like sweet pay for that as well. Oh yeah, and stuff like Miller's Crossing and Quiz Show, and um, you know, you, you should go through it. It's it's pretty. It's a pretty fucking good career. I mean, yeah. on rounders as well. He's in Crossway, wasn't he? Oh yeah, there yeah. he was, wasn't he? And he's um, very good in the Good Shepherd. God, I can't remember anything about that flick. I I actually really like Good Shepherd. I'll I'll probably watch it again someday, but I can't say it's going to be any time soon. Um. I, I don't know. Are we done? We're, we're done because I think all, all, all I'm going to do is throw more more negativity at it. To be honest, if I continue going, um, one one scene I particularly disliked, particularly disliked, was the um, the dinner scene where Ozzy Davis, uh, Flipper's dad, invites them round for for a meal and then basically he just slags him off. Just, just, just basically calls a, a a black cock chasing whore. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. I, I thought was particularly um, misjudged and, and a particularly nasty and quite, I'm going to say it again, quite a racist scene in, in the film. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like Ozzy Davis, who has spent a, a large portion of his life uh, fighting for you know equality and, and being quite a, you know an activist of this to, to to deliver those lines it felt a little bit like really you know this feels like such a going against what you fought so long to believe in because you're going so far over the line of your own beliefs yeah it it, it felt like a movie that spitely wanted to tell an idea and wanted to explore a theme but was too caught up in his own mixed mind to deliver anything good. Yeah, I mean, to me, it basically feels like he got all the kudos from Do the Right Thing and he just thought, right, I can get away with doing something a bit more controversial now. Mm. But it it, it just, like, like you said earlier on, him getting more militant, I think that's definitely in here. And whereas something like Malcolm X, which I haven't seen yet, but we'll be covering next week, Something like Mal- Malcolm X, it kind of feels like, right, okay, that makes sense for that. It can lend its, it, itself to that more militant... Um, that, that kind of energy is more well-placed in a biopic of Malcolm X than I think it is in what, you know, what could have been like a, quite a groundbreaking film about mixed-race relationships, but then just becomes mired in just people being horrible to each other and showering each other and not actually having a discussion about mixed race relationships instead people's reactions to it yeah and, and, and that is a problem it is it, it, my my overriding view of our tech witness film is it is a horribly racist movie and uh, that gets away with it because um it's made by a black director yeah, I think you might be right there. To be honest, I like I, re- I, I just I did not enjoy. I'll never, I will never watch Jungle Fever again. No, I won't. Yeah. Mainly because if I have to hear that fucking song again, I swear to God, I'll punch myself in the face. <laughs> and all, that that is one thing. Is you did touch on it earlier. You'd have these really kind of like scenes where people are talking, and it's getting a little bit dramatic. And then all of a sudden, really loud, you just hear fucking Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, it is like. During the last edit, they're playing it, and Spike Lee just went, play on a Stevie Wonder tape he had. It, it, they, they just drop mid-sentence. Mm. Mm. It's a horrible, terrible movie. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, uh, for me. Unfortunately, Jungle Fever is definitely shit. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I, I expect it to be the one I like the least out of these films. To be honest, uh, if if not, then wow. Uh, uh, I, I I can't see there been a, a a movie you like you, from the ones we're covering. From what I remember, I, I can't see there being one that you'll dislike. More. Yeah, I mean, I, I I now own a Blu-ray copy of Malcolm X, and I might start watching it or watch the whole thing this afternoon, depending on stuff. Um, but we'll see. But we'll we'll be talking about that next week. So uh, definitely shit, definitely not shit for Jungle Fever. Definitely shit. Yeah, uh, big shame. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, move on to Pastures New, and uh, we'll get into some Twitter questions. I don't think we got many this week, to be honest. Um, no, I think the fact that we, we, we recorded this in, what is, four sessions, <laughs> uh, I, I think hampered our actual kind of pimping for our questions. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I, hopefully the show itself, like the content, doesn't feel too disjointed, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, back to the normal service next week, though, so... Uh, right, okay, so, uh, at Horrorsmith, Chris Ward, uh, best and worst film by your favourite director, his is Cronenberg's The Fly, best and Cosmopolis worst, and, uh, actually, Mondo Dan kind of chimed in, um, saying, well, Cosmopolis is your worst, I thought it was his best film since the 90s, and I'd agree with Dan on that one, to be honest. I'd, I'd agree with Dan, I'm, I'm not, I was, I was a, quite a big Cosmopolis fan, so yeah. I really, really liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's done. He's done much worse. I'd watch Cosmopolis over A Dangerous Method any day. I would. I would, say that. I, I would watch a lot of things over A Dangerous Method because I don't need to fucking see Kira Knightley fucking gurning ever again in my <laughs> life. That that literally that is one of the worst performances I have seen from a person or thing ever in that film. I. By, by a person or thing. Yeah, literally. Well, about I'm included thing. She was worse than furniture in that movie. <laughs> I would have preferred her to have been replaced oh, by funny. I don't know a lamp. <laughs> and even if, even if the lamp just had subtitles underneath it, that would have made a better, better film for it. If it had just been a lamp, but nobody acknowledged that it was a lamp. And like every time she got it got spanked, the light turned on. I've just saved the dangerous method for everybody. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I would say, I mean, like currently, I think my favourite director is um, David Fincher. Um, I'd say his worst by a distance is the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, uh, even though that was essentially him being given a massive budget to work out some daddy issues for three hours. <laughs> um, so that you know. Whatever, at least he got it out of him, his system. Uh, his best for me is The Social Network, which I think is probably still the, the best film of this decade thus far. Um, my my favourite director sits between two. Uh, I can never work out whether it's Scorsese or Lynch, to be honest. Um, but Lynch hasn't... I think it's better to go for Scorsese because Lynch hasn't made that much and there's not a single one that I don't actually really like. So, I'll probably say Scorsese. Uh, Favourite Scorsese is... Ooh, that's a toughie. Really, isn't it? It probably is... I'm actually going to say it's probably Goodfellas, because I think that Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, although they're both Scorsese movies, I think overall they're... 
they're powered as much by De Niro as they are Scorsese. Whereas I think that Goodfellas is more it's Scorsese using all the materials for himself. That's an interesting way of looking at that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd say Goodfellas have got best and worst. Again, it, it's funny because Scorsese's not really done a lot of bad things. So I'm sure there's one that I'm absolutely missing out. So if you bear with me two seconds while I ramble, while I quickly look for Scorsese's. Um, I don't know, like New York, New York. I don't mind New York, New York. Uh, um, it, it, it's not great, but it's not. It's not fucking horrible. I don't think the Aviator's all right. Uh, I, would, I would actually probably say. Um, I'd actually probably say Aviator is my least favourite. And I, I, I do like it, but I would probably say it's my least favourite. I haven't seen Kundun. I, I, Kundun's alright. To be honest. Mm. It's a decent film, it's quite entertaining. Uh, yeah, I'd probably say Aviator, just because I, I don't think it achieved what it wanted to achieve. I think it, it's too... It's, it skims the surface too much. I do, yeah, I just remember it being very well. That happened. Yeah, the fact that I own every Scorsese movie, with the exception of The Aviator, I think tells a story. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, so that was mine. Okay, and um, last question actually, so only two. Uh, at very cinematic, uh, this is Tom. Which Hollywood actor secretly has a massive cock? Very simple answer to this one: Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> Um, who has a massive cock? Uh, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that. Oh, oh, we do actually have another couple of questions actually. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. From Cinematronics, Chris Pine. When was the last time a film made you cry? Um, fuck. Uh, dee 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 dee. Place Beyond the Pines had me tearing up. Um, but literally, the, like, the reason why I think that film had such an effect on me was like, literally within that week we found out that Donna was pregnant and the whole kind of father-son issue, like, issues in that film. Like, the moment where, um, Dane DeHaan's talking to, um, Ben Mendelsohn. And, uh, and, and like, he kind of, rea- like, he realises his dad really did love him. And then there's the shot of him riding the bike uh, mm. with that Mike Patton music. And it's quite, like, quite, like, a wide shot of, like, him, like, riding the bike with the trees either side. Like, that fucking had me well enough a treat, actually, I must say. Um, I don't know. Even actually, in terms of, uh, actually, literally the last film, uh, Star Trek II, The Rapper Khan, um, because I watched that just before Into Darkness, and seriously, the ending of that fucking film when they play uh, when they play Amazing Grace, and then it um kind of turns into the orchestral version of Amazing Grace as Spock's um coffin like shoots out, uh, it it just that gets me every single fucking time. Hmm. Um. I I'm not a big crier, and that's not me being macho. I'm just not. No, I mean, like, this is, like, me tearing up. This isn't yeah, me actually I would, crying. I don't cry myself, but... I would say, uh, tearing up, uh, always, first blood. 
gets me every fucking time. Yeah, you do love First Blood. Fucking do love that film. Yeah, that, that, and um, I had tears of laughter in my eyes during This Is The End. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and we have another one from uh, TGP73. Uh, what's your favourite shaped pasta? Um, <laughs> uh, penne. Uh, I'm a linguine fan. Oh, fair play. Oh, well, no, no, I mean, like, I suppose spaghetti is technically shaped, so I'd say spaghetti. But yeah, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're talking shapes, then penne. Uh, if you're talking shapes, I'm a few ceiling man. Even though I do like tagliatelle as well. Oh, Spaghetti, tagliatelle, penne, fusilli would be. Yeah. I once had some pasta that was shaped like vaginas and boobs. Oh, that's not pretty. <laughs> I also had some pasta that was shaped like penises as well. Oh, God. <laughs> so we bought it for my birthday. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I, I have eaten many a cock in my life. Okay, that's good. I think that's the end of our questions. I, I, to be honest, just after that section alone, I feel like we've recorded for three hours. <laughs> we've recorded for about half an hour. <laughs> right, so that's questions. All right, great. Um, so, right, okay, so I mean, I suppose this episode's probably going to be released in a fairly regular slot. You just didn't have a show last week in the end of the day. So we will be back next week as we record now uh, with a review of Only God Forgives, which hits US VOD this Friday. Uh, we are not reviewing The World's End, uh, I think, because Mark doesn't want to watch it. Is that right? I, I will watch it, um, but... I might not get a chance next weekend. Dave. So, um, um, I'm on a stag night on a Saturday. So. Oh, fair enough. Well, um, so we are uh, we are doing it on Heroes next week anyway. Uh, you can also hear uh, Mark guest on 35mm Heroes for the Pacific Rim review. Uh, an awful lot of fun. Uh, it's probably going to deafen people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the microphone was quite sensitive. So, yeah. uh, But uh, hopefully George's going to do some uh, tinkering on that. Uh, but yeah, that that was genuinely. It was a lot of fun for us to record it. I hope it's half as much fun to listen to. <laughs> At two or three points, we do go and get more beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, I, if I remember correctly, I do an incredible Charlie Day impression. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do actually. Yes, and uh, we come up with a new uh, nickname for um, for <laughs> John. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an awful lot of fun, and I don't think it's up yet as we record. But I'm, I'm to be honest, I'd be amazed if it's not up around the same time that this episode's up. So yeah, we'll be back next week with Only God Forgives uh, trailers, uh, one old, one new, and Malcolm X, uh, the Spike Early Marathon. Uh, dude of the Monkey at gmail dot com at Dude of the Monkey at Dude Foz at Ian Loring. Um, this has probably been quite a long one, Mark. So anything to wrap up? Um, thank you very much for listening guys and we'll speak to you next week yeah cheers guys Uh, take it easy bye bye